0: Desert and the great American Southwest. I bid you all good evening or good morning and welcome to another edition, a Friday night, Saturday morning edition of Coast to Coast AM. Live talk radio throughout the night time, now the largest, fastest growing all night program in America. Period. It's good to be with you. I uh, promised you John Lear this morning. And so it shall be. <laughs> Put a little tweak in there, didn't I? All right, John Lear. Uh, it's been a long time since John has been on the program. Doesn't John doesn't really do uh, interviews to speak of. A lot of you don't know who John Lear is, so John Lear is an airline captain. He is that now. He's flown 160 different types of aircraft in over 50 different countries in all types of flying. Experimental test flying, production test flying, airline passenger flying, cargo hauling, movie work, stunt flying, aircraft ferrying, air dropping missions, air racing, and government secret missions of all kinds. Lear has held 18 world speed records in the Learjet, including speed around the world, and holds the most FAA airman certificates issued to a single individual, which include the airline transport rating, flight instructor, ground instructor, navigator, flight engineer, flight dispatcher, airframe and power plant mechanic, control tower operator, and parachute rigger. He has been a commercial pilot for 34 years, has been flying for 38 years. He holds the Professional Air Traffic Controllers Award for Outstanding Airmanship, presented in 1968. He has flown missions worldwide for various government agencies. He flew in Cambodia, Vietnam, and Laos between 1967 and 73, and has flown extensively in Europe, the Middle East, Afghanistan the Far East, and Africa. As a non SCED pilot, he has over 17,000 hours of flight time, of which over 13,000 hours are in jets. Lear's father was William P. Lear, Sr., who not only helped develop the first car radio, the 8-track stereo, and the automatic pilot for fighter aircraft, but who also developed, of course, the Lear jet, one of the first and most successful of all business jet aircraft Lear studied the industrial uh, in, uh, studied rather industrial design at the Arts Center College in Los Angeles and was a state Senate candidate in Nevada in 1980. He has written extensively about airplanes and other subjects, was Middle East correspondent for Combat Illustrated between 1975 and 77 while stationed in Beirut. He is an amateur photographer and astronomer, has won several photography awards for pictures taken during his worldwide travels. In the early 70s, John Lear owned and skippered the 12-meter America's Cup boat soliloquy out of Marina del Rey. His interest in UFOs began after reading Bud Hopkins' book, Missing Time. Then, a chance encounter with a U.S. Air Force pilot who was at a a base in England where an extraterrestrial craft landed in December of 1980. In 1988, John met a government scientist who worked on a back engineering program of recovered extraterrestrial flying saucers for the Department of Naval Intelligence at a secret base within the Nevada test site known only as S-4. This uh, scientist not only explained how these craft traveled many times faster than the speed of light, but in March of 1989, took John to a remote desert location to watch the Navy test fly one of those extraterrestrial craft. John, who no longer gives lectures on the subjects, uh, subject of UFOs and has no plans, incidentally, to write a book, is currently a DC-8 captain with a major cargo carrier, has four daughters, and lives in Las Vegas with his wife, Lee. So that's a pretty full plate for anybody's life, I would say, and uh, a little fuller than mine has been, certainly, and I, I think most. In just one moment, we'll get to John Lear, and I think you'll find him uh, more than just a little fascinating. Now, ladies and gentlemen, here comes John Lear. John, uh, well, wait a minute. Let me put you on hold there and bring you up here. John, it's been a long time since we've had you on the program. Welcome back.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah, it sure has been. It's been, what, over a year?
0: at least that long john and uh the network in that time has grown uh magnificently i think we've gone from about 28 stations to about 120 wow yeah yeah we've come a long way baby well anyway um, john you've done a lot in your life haven't you
1: uh yeah a little bit here and there
0: <laughs> it's been awfully busy i mean uh, this is quite a resume you've got and uh And that's a lot to do in a life. And then all of a sudden, at some point, you decided to mix into all of this, which is enough for about two people normally, and you got involved in UFOs.
1: Yes, involuntarily, I might add.
0: (laughs) Involuntarily. Well, look, we'll get to that. You've done something kind of interesting. You've given me this timeline, and uh, I do appreciate it. I would like to go back over the history a little bit. Uh, with you, John, and pick your brain about what you know about the incidents that you have listed for me. Did modern UFO uh, ufology really begin about 1947?
1: Yeah, it really did with the uh, the Ken Arnold sightings. But now there's been a lot that happened before that. There was a uh, a recovery, uh, I think, in 1941, um, I think in Arizona, and uh, there was a lot of activity during World War II, but but really, modern ufology uh, started in 1947 with the recovery. Well, first with Ken Arnold sighting up in uh, Seattle, I think it was, and then uh, and then the recovery of the uh, of the craft in Roswell, New Mexico.
0: Well, I'm not familiar with the Arnold sighting.
1: Well, the Ken Arnold sightings was when he saw those nine uh, discs uh, uh, flying through the air. He was out on a search and rescue mission. And uh, he saw these discs. And when he landed, uh, the reporters wanted to know what he, he saw. And he said, "Well, they looked kind of like saucers." And that was the that uh, was the first uh, coining of the term uh, flying saucers.
2: Ah.
1: And this happened like in late June of 1947. And, and coincidentally, just you know, like a week later was this recovery of the uh, uh, of the craft in Roswell.
0: Well, I say modern ufology uh, really. There have been sightings, I suppose, for as long as man has been around to record them, haven't there?
1: Yeah, at least there's just hundreds of references in the Bible and, and uh, before that, uh, Chinese and uh, and Indian records record uh, saucers, you know, uh, up to four or five thousand years ago.
0: Okay, uh, now to Roswell, very quickly. I interviewed uh, uh, the author of the book uh, The Truth About the UFO Crash uh, at Roswell the other day. And he did a pretty good job of documenting um, what I guess is, would you say it is the best uh, documentation of something that has happened?
1: Yeah, it probably is, Other than, uh, of course, uh, well, no, that's right, it is.
0: It is. is. And uh, I know you've looked at Roswell. I guess it's probably one of the first things that you studied when you jumped into all this. What kind of conclusions did you draw about it, John?
1: Well, at that time, 1985, when I first got in this, this, I think there was, then there was over 200 witnesses that were still alive that uh, had either touched or or loaded or uh, seen uh, the craft and the bodies, and uh, a good portion of those people are still alive now, but uh, there was just overwhelming ev- uh, evidence that this occurred.
0: What actually supposedly happened? was? There, uh, what is the best guess? Was there a collision? Did it blow up? Does anybody speculate about what happened to this craft?
1: There's theories, and and I don't think it's so much so important as what happened, the fact that it did happen. Now, some people say there was two craft, and one landed, and one crashed on the Magdalena Flats about 100 miles east of Roswell, and then there was uh, a craft, or portions of a craft, that landed on the Brazel Ranch uh, there near Corona. But uh, whatever did happen, they certainly collected a large amount of debris, and there was a lot of people involved in this effort. But what was so interesting is the preparedness of the military to deal with this. There was no confusion. Uh, they knew exactly what to do. They, uh, they knew exactly uh, what they had and that it must be kept a secret. Uh, and they were very
0: well prepared for this. Hmm. So that would indicate to you, I guess, that they had some knowledge of what was going on or they some could, interaction they prior they only to that.
1: They had advanced knowledge that, that, that there was a probability or possibility that this could happen. And they were very well prepared
0: for it. All right. Also in that same timeline, 1947, the establishment, uh, the original establishment of MJ-12. And the MJ-12 documents, which I've seen, John, do you view those as legitimate?
1: The information is legitimate, not necessarily the documents. Uh, President Truman certainly formed MJ-12 on uh, September 24, 1947. There's enough evidence uh, in government documents that he did have a meeting uh, with certain people and did form this, this body, which of course uh, has been in charge ever since.
0: What, what was the job of MJ12? Did it have it had a charter, right? What was it supposed to do?
1: The, the charter of MJ12 was basically to uh, research the craft, uh, determine uh, what it was made of, whether there was a threat to this country. Uh, and to determine uh, what uh, should be done to tell, if at all, uh, the public about what was going on.
0: Mm-hmm. So they kind of were the overseers of all this.
1: Yeah, they were and they are the overseers. The original 12 that were appointed uh, by Truman, the last one that uh, that died, I think it was 1983, and that was Sec- former Secretary of the Army, Gordon Gray, he was the last member. As to who is involved or a member of MJ12 today, we can only speculate. Uh, I really don't know. But
0: uh, well, since that time, there must have been many members. In other words, people die, people retire, people get sick, uh, all kinds of things. So, if it's are you are you saying it's still in place today?
1: Yes, MJ12 certainly is in place, and uh, they have you know they would have had to replace the uh, the original twelve. Uh, I don't think it would be more than uh, 30 were, were probably ever involved
0: people but, uh, people talk John about this current administration the Clinton administration and um, uh, how open they've been with the nuclear you know the tests that were done the awful things that were done uh, and they have hopes that they will also be open about UFOs and maybe tell us what's going on what do you think
1: never uh, when I first got into uh, what they Ufology, and I think it's a dumb name. But uh, when I first got interested in this uh, and realized uh, the overwhelming impact of what was going on and the cover-up that that had been in place for so many years, I got up on my soapbox and uh, did lectures and said, "Hey, you got to listen to me. There's there's something going on here that we should all be aware of." And then that was like 1985 and now in uh, september of 1994 i believe that the government was correct to cover it up and uh, as as short as uh <laughs> uh four, 3 or 4 years ago i still thought they were planning to gradually release the information uh so that the public would uh, you know not panic but uh, accept this and uh, now i don't think they ever had any intention uh, of doing that and i don't think they have today and uh, as odd as it may sound, I I uh, I kind of go along with it. I believe that they really the public does not have uh, a need to know. Uh, they don't certainly don't have a right to know. Uh, there's so many uh, aspects to this thing uh, that would uh, that would really disrupt public life uh, as we know it. That uh, that I don't think they had any intention of doing it. The only reason that they would maybe be forced to do it is if, if there was a a crash or a landing that could, absolutely could possibly not be denied, and they have uh, facilities uh, and teams in place to uh, to prevent things like that ever happening. There have been uh, saucers that have crashed very very near to cities, and it's been completely covered up. They have teams that that go out, and uh, it's their business to be sure that the that the public never finds out. And if this includes. Uh, relocating, relocating personnel or even terminating personnel that have uh, seen this unauthorized, either accidental or, or on purpose, uh, they go to that extent.
0: Well, I do know this. There have been uh, crashes here near us, John. I'm to the west of you, and you know what I'm near. Yeah. And um, uh, there have been crashes out here, and it's true. The public would never know. They get these areas uh, quickly cordoned off, and uh, you don't get anywhere near it. And, you know, it's wreckage, and it could be anything. And so who knows? If a saucer did come down, they could get control of it uh, very quickly, just like that, couldn't they?
1: Uh, Exactly. I heard of one that uh, that landed, didn't crash, but landed just maybe a few miles outside of downtown Albuquerque. And these teams are located all over the United States. Uh, They're in underground facilities. They have helicopters uh they have people who are uh, uh technicians and heavy equipment uh, operators uh who have uh, uh passes and authority to go to any civilian or military base and uh and drive right off with this heavy equipment and their job is to go and and uh, keep us from being seen and one of the first things they do is they have these portable walls that are put in place uh and then they secure the area uh if it's like near a freeway, what they can do is have a uh, uh, heavy truck um, uh, purposely uh, have a wreck right there to block the freeway several miles uh, uh, from the uh, crash wow. uh, or the landing. Uh, they can also start fires. They do uh, really uh, interesting things to keep the people from seeing them. Anyway, they, elected, they, they erected these uh Uh, portable walls around this thing and everybody stood around trying to figure out what to do, I think it was there for about five hours and then all of a sudden it just left Huh? and nobody got out, uh, there was no communication and it just left
0: Alright, you know we're very efficient in this country at doing this kind of thing uh, and I don't doubt that for a second I've seen it myself but John, they come down all over the world uh, or at least you would think they come down all over the world. So what about other countries less prepared to make it all a big secret?
1: We go in, and with uh, money, uh, we say, you know, we, we need to have this craft, and here's so many millions of dollars. Be sure that nobody ever finds out about it. We had a recovery in uh, Bolivia, one in Argentina, uh, one in South Africa just a very few years ago. Uh, all over the world, uh, except for Russia, we didn't have any control over those. and I don't know how that happened. Uh, I, I, I mean I don't know what happened uh, in Russia if there's any crashes there, if there's any recoveries there. So, so
0: what, uh, In 1948, the Aztec recovery, uh, possible EBE1. What, what does all that mean? The Mantell incident?
1: As, uh, Aztec recovery was a saucer crash in, in Aztec, New Mexico. And uh, they recovered a few bodies from that one. It's not sure where they got their first live alien, but they were called uh, they were named EBEs extraterrestrial biological entities by Dr. Detlef Bronk, who was one of the uh, first members of uh, MJ12. Um, at, at some point in that uh, 47, 48, 49, they recovered their first uh, live alien. Uh, the Mantell incident is separate from that. That was the P51 crash. Um, piloted by Thomas Mantell over, uh, um, I'm trying to think, it was in Kentucky, Uh, and he got up to about 30,000 feet. He was on uh, uh, clear communication, and he said, I have it in sight, it's enormous, a thing of tremendous size. And then the next thing they knew, this uh, P-51 crashed in the field. (laughs) Uh, It was uh, completely disintegrated. There are stories that Mantell's body was not in the crash, uh, but I don't know for sure but that was the Mantell incident and that occurred in the same year as the Aztec recovery
0: How many bodies totally do you think they've recovered?
1: From between uh, 50 to 100 uh, 50. representing at least five different civilizations uh, they're all on uh, uh, in cryogenic storage uh, one of the interesting things here is in 1972 the only civilian that I know that ever got to see the bodies was Jackie Gleason, and he was a very big uh, supporter of Nixon's, and they were out playing golf down there in uh, Miami in 1972. And uh, Jackie Gleason, as not many people know, wa- was one of the uh, uh, he had a tremendous interest in flying saucers, and he had one of the, the biggest civilian collections of books and memorabilia and pictures and stuff like that. It's no,
0: up- I didn't. I didn't know that.
1: In upstate New York, his uh, house was built in this shape in the shape of a uh, saucer and he called it the mothership oh. anyway uh, in a conversation with Nixon he said uh, you know was any chance of getting to see the bodies and uh, Nixon said yeah sure they when they finished their golf game they went over and got in the presidential helicopter and they went to Homestead uh, Air Force Base which was right near the um, where they were playing. And uh, golf, and uh, he was shown the bodies.
0: Incredible. The reason we know this story is All right, John, 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 hold it right there. We're at the bottom of the hour, and we'll be right back. My guest is John Lear, commercial airline pilot, ufologist in semi retirement, since he happens to be here with us this morning. We'll be right back. coast-to-coast AM control at about 35 minutes into the flight. And the flight uh, this morning is with John Lear, son of Bill Lear, jet pilot, uh, aviator for just about all his uh, adult life, and uh, very much a believer in UFOs, or uh, John would call them, I believe, IFOs, identified flying objects, because he says he knows exactly what they are. So that's what we're going to be doing uh, this morning. Hope you'll join us. I do want to issue one brief and severe warning. Some of the material that we will um, be getting to this morning uh, will be deeply disturbing to some people out there. And so if you're the kind of person disturbed by this sort of material, my best advice at this point is to tune out. (laughs) Rarely do I... uh, offer that up, but I do know that a lot of people are disturbed by this. We've not yet hit on any of that material, but we're going to, so uh, if it bothers you, um, go play cards or something. Right back in just a moment with John Lear. Back now to John Lear. John. Yeah. Uh, John, you were talking about Jackie Gleason and said that Richard Nixon uh, we took him from a golf course to go see the aliens?
1: Right, at Homestead Air Force Base. And the reason we know this is his second wife wrote a book describing the incident, how he came home that night, and he was all pale, and she said, my God, what's the matter? And he says, well, get me a drink and I'll tell you. So she got him a drink and uh, he sat down. He said, "The you know, the most uh, interesting thing happened to me today and <laughs> went on to relate the incident about how he had seen the bodies. And uh, this book was never published, but in the manuscript, this is how it uh, was.
0: Wow. And so he actually got to see the the bodies at Homestead?
1: Homestead Air Force Base, right. That was one of the places that they had the cryogenic storage uh, and display for uh, people who were authorized to see the displays, like certain world leaders, uh, certain uh, uh, political people.
0: Are they still there now?
1: I don't know. I don't
0: know. Well, surely we do still have bodies, don't we?
1: Certainly. We still have them all. Uh,
0: And no idea where they might be? No. I've I, I, I have heard some rumors lately, John, that there might be some bodies here in Nevada somewhere. Not, uh, you know, Area 51-ish, but somewhere else here in Nevada. Have you heard that?
1: Could very really well be. There's a lot of things here in Nevada. And uh, there's a lot of uh, secret places, not only... Uh, the Nevada test site, but there's a lot of other places. Uh, right close here at Niles Air Force Base, there's uh, a place they call Area 2, which is a nuclear bomb storage area, but part of that area is called, uh, I think they call it the Q area, or, or uh, Area Q. Yeah, hmm. there's a lot of uh, pieces and bits and parts stored
0: there. Area Q, that's one I've never heard of. Alright, um, there are so many incidents we could talk about uh, there was one recovery, I guess, in 1950 in Mexico, across from Del Rio, is that right? Right, it crashed about 30
1: miles across the border, and we went over and actually dragged it 30 miles to uh, Del Rio. And up until maybe 10 or 15 years ago, uh, people that had researched that incident said you could still see the drag marks of uh, where they had pulled it uh, across.
0: Wow. Uh, then... And I've heard about this before, John. In Washington, D.C., it is true, then, that for a couple of weekends in a row, back in 1952, they actually had flying saucers over Washington, D.C. They, they were photographed by the press?
1: Yeah, they were photographed, and uh, they saw them both on uh, F.A. radar and Air Force radars. As a matter of fact, you can go down to the library and pull out uh, those weekend editions, I think, of the Washington Post, and uh, there's stories all over it. Uh, and then I think the third weekend, uh, the Air Force released uh, a story, and I think it was the largest press conference uh, of the decade. Uh, and they said that it had been a um, uh, a temperature inversion which caused this. Oh. Uh, naturally, the press bought it. And
0: uh, well, it says here the press got photographs. How do you photograph a temperature inversion?
1: Well, that's a good question.
0: <laughs> So, um, I've never seen the photographs. What do they look like?
1: Well, the photographs were of course confiscated. They had oh. uh, a, a very good machine in place uh, for dealing with the press and for dealing anybody who had photographs. they still do. Now, once in a while, you'll see a photograph of a you know of a bright light in the sky, but uh, you won't see any real good photographs because somehow they get all of those.
0: Uh, then there was a recovery near Johannesburg, South Africa. Uh, back in '53, and I sort of vaguely remember something about that, John. What happened?
1: Well, there was one then. I don't know too much about that, but there was one also several, several years ago that. Uh,
0: yeah, maybe that's the one I remember. That
1: supposedly crashed, and uh, we sent one of our. Uh, they have the recovery teams with the C-5As, and they go over there and they load it up and bring it back to wherever. Some say Wright Patterson. Some say uh, out here at the uh, at Grim Lake.
0: All right, and then the first official meeting in 1954, supposedly, between Eisenhower and the aliens at Murok Dry Lake, is that correct?
1: Yeah, and as ridiculous as this may sound, uh, there's, there's very good evidence that that did occur. And uh, Murak was the original name of uh, Edwards Air Force Base. It was later uh, uh, named uh, after Glenn Edwards, who I think crashed in a flying wing there. But it was called uh, Muroc, and uh, Eisenhower was vacationing at the time at Palm Springs, and uh, he was uh, called to Edwards uh, by the military, and the press was given the story that he had to attend a, uh, uh, an emergency uh, session with a dentist uh-huh. uh, as the cover. But it, in fact, this is when the meeting occurred, and Eisenhower essentially told these people that the world was not ready uh, to see them or be aware of them, and that's where it, uh, that's where it stood until the uh, Holloman encounter of uh, 1964. But uh, later, the uh, the dentist was interviewed and said, no, he, he didn't have an appointment with me.
2: Oh.
0: So
1: the cover story was uh, started to unravel. All right. Uh, by
0: 1956, uh, with more recoveries having having been done, uh, the first human mutilation occurred. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. Well, well, the first one that uh, they knew about, and that was in the Grudge 13 uh, report that uh, Bill English read. And it was uh, Jonathan P. Lovett, who was a uh, tech sergeant out on the Holloman Range. Uh, and he and a the captain were out there recovering some missile debris about 3 o'clock in the morning. And uh, as the story goes, uh, uh, Lovett went over this hill... To where there was kind of a bright shining light, and uh, the captain called after him and didn't hear any response, and uh, he went up to the to the hill and saw this disc with a with kind of a snake like arm coming out of it, and it had grabbed Lovett who was kicking and screaming and dragged him in this uh, saucer. The captain who was petrified ran, got back in his jeep, and uh, went back to the uh, base. And he was, in fact, charged with murder because there was no body. But about ten days later, they recovered the body. It was about ten miles downrange. And I won't go into the details, but it was uh, horribly mutilated. Uh, just use your imagination of how bad it could be, and it was worse than that. <laughs> um, in
0: 1957, John, you say there was the prohibition of the word space in yep. the media. For about ten months, uh,
1: the media was not... Uh, allowed to use the word space uh, in any of their uh, uh, in any of their stories. Why? And that was they were just worried they didn't want the the, the public be, to be thinking or be aware about anything in space. This was before Sputnik uh, had gone up, and uh, they were. You have to understand at that time the government was just petrified about this whole thing with human mutilations and saucers creation all over the place mate. they didn't want the public thinking about the possibility of, of anything other than uh, uh, terrestrial stuff
0: John while we're on the subject of mutilations Linda Howe who does this show with me on Sunday called Dreamland concentrates a lot on animal mutilations and um, I just got an article from somebody uh, in, it, it came in the um, it was Associated Press article and with a local uh, kind of angled to it in the Albuquerque Journal dated uh, Sunday August 14th so it's brand new. There are cattle mutilations um going on like crazy right now in northern New Mexico and they really are odd John high heat used uh, genitals and uh, tongues and so forth and so on removed all that sort of thing going on and it's going on massively now in northern New Mexico are the cattle mutilations related in any way to the human mutilations?
1: Uh, I don't know, but they uh, they do the same thing. They, they core out the rectum. They, uh, they take the genitals. They yep. carve the eyes out. Uh, they, they follow the same pattern. We had a very interesting incident happen here in uh, Nevada. If you'll remember, in 1990, there was a big story about uh, 128 sheep uh, oh, that yes. were found dead in central Nevada.
0: Yes, I recall.
1: Well, the interesting thing is, is that area was sealed off from all reporters and researchers, and no pictures were ever released, and no independent inspection was done. And after the initial interest, there was only one story done by a reporter in Reno. This reporter never went near the horses or the site, but relied mainly on unsubstantiated reports from the authorities. And he wrote that the horses were killed by rifle bullets fired from persons who were uh, charged, but then later released for insufficient uh, evidence, right? And this reporter received the Pulitzer Prize for his
0: reporting. Huh. Um, if you had to hazard a guess with regard to all these cattle mutilations, what do you think's being done?
1: I I don't know. It has it's, it has to do with genetic experimentation. Those particular uh, parts of the body. Uh, I think they use it uh, hormones, secretions, that kind of thing for whatever their experiments are.
0: Well, there are people who suggest that it's our own government, you know, that our government is somehow doing it. But it wouldn't make sense to me that our government wouldn't feel a need or would even have a need to raid anybody's uh, cattle farm.
1: Well, certainly if it was our own government, uh, uh, they would do it a little bit more discreetly. There's no question in my mind that we do some of that. But uh, the major portion of it is done by someone else.
0: Well, you'd think the government could get cattle if they need cattle.
1: Certainly, they could have a farm, and uh, they wouldn't leave the, uh, the bodies lying around just to invite speculation.
0: All right. Uh, the explosion over uh, Nevada that you talked about, then a the recovery of a craft in New Mexico in 1962. Yeah, I was just
1: trying to find a copy of that, uh, of, the, uh, of the Las Vegas Sun. It had a front-page story. Uh, of this explosion and it occurred, uh, well, it was seen all over Nevada. But apparently, a part of it crashed in uh, in Mesquite, and uh, apparently that was one of the first test flights that our government uh, uh, made in in a recovered extraterrestrial craft. And because of the disastrous outcome of it, uh, there was no more testing in it uh, until 1972. But apparently, that was us trying to fly one of the extraterrestrial craft.
0: Okay, is that one of them that had crashed, or was one turned over to us uh, in some way? Or
1: All I can tell you is it was acquired. Now, whether it crashed and it was good enough working order to fly, or whether it was turned over to us, as, as one of the ones that uh, Linda Howe talks about uh, at uh, Hill Air Force Base in uh, Utah, Everybody wakes up one morning, and there's one just sitting on the ramp. The doors are open. It's just sitting there. Hmm. And that was one of the cases where we had to quickly cover it up and take it somewhere, but it was just sitting there on the ramp. Now, who gave it to us? I don't know, but it was just there.
0: Hmm. Uh, Boy, it's so hard to fill in the blanks sometimes. Uh, the Holloman Incident in 1964, an agreement in the late 60s, the building of Dulce Recovery near Fort Raleigh, Kansas. That was a busy year.
1: Yeah, that was uh, uh, the Holloman Incident was documented by uh, uh, Sandler Productions, the film that came was uh, released in 1973. And that was actually supposedly the first attempt by the government to release information to the public. And they approached Sandler Films, who was a CIA front, uh, in Los Angeles, to write a documentary, uh, uh, outlining the history of UFOs, uh, and to end it, uh, with the actual film of the actual landing at Holloman, uh, and, uh, that was gonna be the, the, uh, the, uh, final part of the film. Well, they got all, everything done, uh Emanager himself Robert Eminager who's a close friend actually had 800 feet of this film in his house uh he did not view the film but he was given it to him by uh, Paul Chartle, hmm. who was head of the audiovisual department uh at uh, Norton Air Force base and Chartle watched the film in its entirety uh and he says there's no question that it was a real film uh and that it showed uh, these uh Three saucers coming down, one landing, the other two going away, and then three people coming out. Uh, they were humanoid, but uh, slightly different than us. They had a weapon, uh, and this this film was supposed to be shown uh, at the last part of the the actual documentary it was called UFOs Past, Present, and Future. At the last minute, the Pentagon withdrew the film and said, "We want you to not use this film, but depict the end uh, in terms of it may have happened." and so if you ever see a copy of this you'll see Rod Serling who does the narration say let's consider an incident that uh, could happen in the future or, or uh, already may have happened in the past and in fact it had happened uh, and that's how the film got released but uh, that was the incident the Holloman incident that uh, that they talk about
0: Alright, what is what is Dulcie The building of Dulcie
1: Dulcie was an underground base uh, that's that, uh, still active it's on the California, it's on the uh, Colorado-New Mexico border, in the, near the town of Dulce. Uh, it's it's completely underground. It's my understanding it's about thousand uh, to fifteen hundred feet underground, and it's where uh, supposedly the CIA and the aliens do joint genetic experiments. Oh, uh, I've been amazing. out to Dulce. I've talked uh, with Gabe Valdez, who is head of the uh, Highway Patrol, New Mexico Highway Patrol, and his area was Dulce. I spent two evenings with him driving around the entire area, heard all his stories about all the craft he'd seen and the evidence that Dulce was, was in fact, there.
3: And there's no question
1: in my mind that it was there uh, and that it, it still is there. Yeah. And uh, there's a, a story that will come up later, the what's called the Dulce Incident, which happened in 1979 when we get up to that part of the uh, timeline.
0: All right, and a recovery at Fort Raleigh, Kansas.
1: Uh, yeah, there was a uh, either recovery or a landing, and several of the uh, soldiers who were there uh, watched it come down.
0: Then one near Kecksburg, Pennsylvania.
1: That's a very famous event. It's covered in a lot of these uh, things, like hard copy and uh, uh, entertainment tonight. They do the story on this every once in a while. But there was a uh, recovery there of an acorn-shaped uh, object, and there's a quite a lot of evidence for that.
0: Boy, we must have a lot of artifacts stored somewhere, not just bodies, but disks and parts of disks and all the rest of it.
1: We have, we do. And uh, I was just reading a story here from one of uh, the researchers, uh, Stringfield, uh, talked about four uh, military personnel who were uh, engineers, and they were flown uh, one night, uh, four hours, I think they lived back, uh, near Wright Pat. They didn't know where they were being flown. They had to s- sign special security oaths. Uh, they say that after four hours they landed and they were blindfolded. Uh, and they were taken out. They said when we stepped out it was like it being in the desert. They weren't oh. allowed to lift their blindfolds up. They went into this hangar, uh, and the lights were turned on. They were, uh, they had blindfolds taken off. And they said this whole thing was full of all kinds of artifacts. And there was a, uh a, quotes, a, a curator there, and they were allowed to inspect, and they were there for four days to inspect and uh, speculate on what these items might be. Uh, and then after the four days, they said they could come back any they wanted, mm-hmm. if they had any fresh ideas, but they were not to discuss this incident with anybody.
0: How intriguing. Um, then there's 1967, this one's close to home, a big disc, a large disc, hovers over Las Vegas school, it says, and children are sent home. Really?
1: Yeah, a friend of mine, as uh, a uh, matter of fact, uh, uh, Tabitha was, uh, I think, one of the students there, and uh, they this disc hovered over the school, and the children were uh, sent home, and they remembered this incident quite clearly. Huh. So I'm not sure whether it was her or somebody else, but... Uh, That that did happen in 1967, and along with that, there was um, a landing at Nellis Air Force Base where Mm -hmm. a uh, saucer landed, uh, and people got out, and a colonel who was there drew his weapon, and the colonel was uh, paralyzed in place, and the the weapon rendered uh, inoperative, and a few minutes later they took off.
0: Well... John, um, we're about out of hour here, uh, out of this hour, but I I want to ask you, you have flown and flown and flown and flown. You've been in our skies, looked more into the skies than probably most of us. In all those zillions of hours, how many air hours do you have now, John? Do you know? 17,000. 17,000 hours. Yeah. In 17,000 hours, one would think if they're up there, you would have been one of the guys who would have seen one of them.
1: Well let me tell you about flying you don't you're not sitting there looking out the window you're looking at your instruments uh... particularly when you're flying jet aircraft now at night when it's more likely you're going to see something you can't see outside because you've got the glow of the instruments inside and you have to put your face up to get rid of all the cockpit reflections to do it and it's just it's something that doesn't happen
0: so then unless it was close and bright you probably wouldn't see it
1: no you really wouldn't and the only time that i ever saw anything uh And it's still interesting these days. When I think about this incident, it never occurred to me. I was in a Learjet. It was in the afternoon. I was descending from over Palm Springs. I was on a flight from Wichita to Los Angeles. I was descending through about 18,000. Let's see, how, how high would I have been?
0: No, John, 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 John. I've never heard this story, Um, so hold this story. We're now at the top of the hour. When we come back, we'll tell the story. Okay. All right? Okay. Now, that is one I haven't heard. Apparently, John has seen something uh, as he thinks back over it. Hmm. We'll get to that right after the news at the top of the hour. Cheerio, everybody. Friday night turning into Saturday morning. This is CBC. CBC.
4: In the Kingdom of Nye, toll free at 1 800 618 8255. 1 618 TALK. First time callers 702 727 1222. 702 727 1222. Or use the wildcard line at 702 727 1295. This is Coast to Coast AM on the CBC Radio Network. It certainly is. Beginning of a holiday
0: weekend, a Friday night, now Saturday morning. My guest is John Lear, airline uh, captain, and very much a believer in IFOs, identified flying objects. And we will get back to John in a moment. Once again, my guest, John Lear, uh, who has flown in jet aircraft for many, many thousands of hours and uh, pressed a little bit, now recalls one incident where he saw something or another. Anyway, John, when was it? What did you see?
1: Well, it was like 1966 or so, and uh, uh, I was descending in a Lear jet. From, uh, I was on a flight from Wichita to Los Angeles, and uh, descending through like 30,000 feet, and from my, I was headed uh, westbound, and from my left to my right, I saw what I thought at the time was a uh, NASA lifting body, that uh, X 24 or one of those type things. Remember the one that the $6 million man crashed in? I do, yes. And that's what it looked like. And it went by, and uh, I uh, mentioned it to the co pilot. When I landed, I distinctly remember calling. Hank Beard, who was uh, chief test pilot at Learjet, and I said, Man, you'll never guess what I saw today. And he said, What? Well, I said, A lifting body passed me. And only after, you know, 25 or 30 years do I look back and say how ridiculous that was, because mm-hmm. there, under no stretch of the imagination would a lifting body be in the main approach corridor for the Los Angeles International Airport. Heavens no. So uh, I don't know what I saw, but... in in all my thousands of hours. I guess that's the only strange thing I ever saw.
0: That's it, huh? All right. um, There's so much history to go through here, John. Um, I guess let's jump up to um, a violent encounter, supposedly, between UFO humanoids and the U.S. military at Lumberton, Ohio. Yeah,
1: there there was two. There was one that happened in uh, Cambodia and one that happened in Zinni, Ohio, uh, the one at Vini, Ohio, uh, was an encounter between uh, uh, the occupants of an alien craft and a U.S. military detachment, and there was 11 American casualties and an unknown number of aliens. And uh, one of the people, one of the researchers, met a guy who worked at the off limits area at Wright Pat, who claims to have seen bodies on litters arriving at the base during that time frame.
0: Wow! Oh. You know, as I go through the history, it is interesting in, in one respect. Um, all of these occurrences all of these witnesses all of these bodies um, uh, how can it well of course it isn't really kept secret because here we are talking about it but still the official cloak of secrecy remains how can that be
1: it's great it's, uh, they can keep a secret if they, if they want to
0: well you know that's really true and if anything uh, the revelations about the uh, uh, the nuclear testing I think prove that. Um, you know, how I, I can't imagine how our government could have kept secret the fact that they were feeding radiation to children, that kind of thing. Yeah. But they did. All right. Um, you mentioned uh, Cambodia, a firefight between U.S. military and small gray humanoids.
1: Yeah, that was uh, in April of 1972. And uh, what happened is uh, uh, members of the U.S. Army Special Operations Group were involved in a firefight with the occupants of an identified alien craft. Uh there were several alien casualties and a single human death, uh though several were burned by an unknown weapon. And what happened was this platoon happened on a group of aliens who were sorting human body parts into large bins and sealing them. Uh a firefight ensued and several of the aliens were mm-hmm. killed uh uh and through headshots because the suits that they were wearing were essentially bulletproof. And as the soldiers pulled back, several of the aliens quickly packed as much as they could, uh, got in this craft, and uh, it took off. Uh, The unit was uh, interrogated originally by military personnel and then by civilians who were identified as representatives of magic. Uh, And they are part of the uh, majestic group that go out and uh, help cover these things up. All
0: right, looks like we're going to jump into the tough stuff early. Why, John, would they be packing up body parts?
1: Well, you got me. You know, for every, every answer I've ever gotten in, uh, all this research, I get ten more questions posed. So, if you're looking for answers.
0: Well, I think this, though, goes to a pretty awful area. I mean, uh, you have not ruled out the possibility, have you, that we are, for them, food.
1: No, but it, it's kind of far out. I did make that statement once in, a, in an interview, and I've regretted it ever since because it sounds so outrageous. Uh, I'm not sure that...
0: that uh, that's listen, a... uh, let me stop you, John. Um, it really did sound outrageous then, but you know something? I've been interviewing uh, a lot of ufologists, scientists, uh, scholars, people who have said things that when they say them, John... They suddenly hearken back to some of the early interviews that I did with you, and I'll say, and I'll say to myself sometimes out loud, I'll be damned. You know, I remember John said that, and a lot of people guffawed, and uh, and here here we are. I mean, a lot of that stuff that you told me, John, has been coming back recently. Yeah, and a lot of investigators, John, are beginning to go down some of the same roads you did back then. You were one of the only ones saying, look. These guys are not necessarily warm, fuzzy, nice people who wish us well. Right. And you were almost alone then. But now, let me tell you, John, more people than not are beginning to join you in that, uh, in, in, in that view.
5: Yeah. Uh,
0: at any rate, um, the Dulcie incident.
1: Okay, now the Dulcie incident I first heard about in, uh, 1986 or 1987 when I was invited to be, uh, Part of a group of researchers who met at Crestone, Colorado, and we just traded information. And I was handed a letter by one of the guys who knew uh, who had gotten this letter from a person who lived in uh, Las Vegas, and said, "Why don't you research this?" And it talked about this underground base, and it was founded so far out. But I met with this person, and uh, and she had known uh, one of the uh, officers who had worked inside this. This base, and originally told about the uh, the massacre uh, at Dulce. I further heard uh, a story by a guy named Paul Benowitz who lived uh, in Albuquerque who was involved in this, and he told me about it also. And the story went that in 1979 we had 44 scientists who were being instructed by the aliens in some subject. I don't know what it was, but uh, they were being instructed uh, at Dulce and for some reason uh it was agreed that, that uh that our security force, our Delta Force, would not carry conventional weapons at any time in this uh classroom or around this area. And for some reason one of the officers walked in with a conventional sidearm and the alien killed him outright. Now how that was done, I don't know. But uh on the uh on the video on the monitor uh his compatriots, or, or the Delta Force, saw that he was killed and they went down en masse to, uh, uh, to exact revenge and it ended up that all 44 scientists and about 66 of the Delta Force were killed. It was just a complete massacre. So I just put this in the file. It was an interesting story. And, uh, it didn't come up again until Bob Lazar, who worked at the, uh, at S4, and we'll get into that later, read a report that documented this massacre. Now, the only thing different about the report that he read was that uh, in the report he read, the massacre occurred somewhere around uh, Area 51 or Groom Lake.
0: Is there any indication of how they were killed, John?
1: No, just head wounds. In the report, it was said that they died of head wounds.
0: Head wounds. Again, um, that's a lot of relatives uh, who are going to be requiring explanations and that sort of thing. How was it all explained?
1: Well, now remember, this is, this is just you know speculation of how they handled it. We've, we've realized now that, that most of the people that get in this program uh, do not have relatives for one reason or another. Either they're orphans or, or, they're, or their family has uh, passed away or whatever. And it's essential that this kind of thing happen uh, kind of uh, go this way because they don't want to have to take the time to explain away the death of a relative.
0: So the, uh, people, the people who do these things are uh, screened specially for this kind of work, which mm, includes... Very not, specially. Yeah. But
1: they also have other messes. They can go to the family and say, look, we're going to uh, give you an uh, you know, uh, annual or monthly uh, stipend uh, but this is, uh, you know, national security, and it's for uh, God and country.
2: And Did
0: so here, mention this again. Yeah, so sign this, and uh, it'll be done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand. Uh, then I think it was an incident that had a lot of influence on you, didn't it? Uh, Bentwaters in 1980.
1: Yeah, Bentwaters uh, occurred uh, during three days in the end of December. Uh, we have a uh, United States Air Force base about 70 miles northeast of London called Bentwaters. Uh, it, at that time, was, uh, uh, I think it still is, a, an A-10 base, uh, the uh, Warthog tank killer. And um, uh, very strange things happened during those three days, culminating with the, uh, it wasn't a landing, it was an appearance of a very weird aircraft witnessed by General Gordon Williams, who was the base commander, uh, Major Ted Conrad, uh, Colonel Chuck Halt, uh, uh, Larry Warren, uh, and, and a few others. Uh, but at any rate, the the incident uh, did occur, but it was just a story as far as I was concerned. Many pilots had heard it, and in 1985, I ran into a friend here in Las Vegas, an Air Force friend that I knew in Laos, and he was transferring from the regular Air Force to the Guard, and he came over to the house, and we started talking about stuff, and uh, I mentioned, you know, I asked where he'd been based. And he mentioned Pentwaters and I said oh, that's supposedly where that uh, saucer landed in 1980. He said, no, John, not supposedly. It did. He said, I didn't see it because I was confined to quarters, but I know the guys who did. And he and he said, I'll give you their names. And I said, wait a minute. You're telling me this stuff is real, that that there are flying saucers? Because Mm -hmm. at this time, I had no no real interest in this stuff. My interest was in spy planes, SR-71s, U-2s.
0: Uh, I understand. What about your dad, uh, John? I know your dad had great abiding interest in all of this. Didn't any of that rub off on you, or did, did was it self-ignited?
1: No, because there was, just, there was no proof. He was certain that they existed, and now that I look back, it's because of who his friends were. He was friends with uh, uh, General Vandenberg, who was first head of the CIA and original member of MJ-12. He was very, very go- close friends with uh, Jimmy Doolittle, who was uh, up to his eyeballs in... Uh, in this alien stuff. Uh, but, you know, he never led on to me, and, and it was just not a part of my interest. Sure, you know, everybody's interested in flying saucers, but, you know, unless you see one or have hard evidence, it's just not a part of your life. But in 1985, it became a part when uh, Greg said, yeah, it, it's true, it's going on. Mm-hmm. And that's what, uh, involuntarily, I might add, launched me into this uh, research.
0: Okay, so that was then really the beginning of your interest? Right. All right. Um, uh, in 1983, uh, you you have written second attempt at public disclosure, Linda Howe, MJ-12, and something about HBO. What does all that mean?
1: This was when it, Linda Howe was uh, contacted by MJ-12 in order to do a documentary, and they said that they would make available to her uh. many, many thousands of uh, feet of, uh, saucers and whatnot, and they wanted her to write a documentary that would be presented on HBO. And she contacted HBO, and HBO said, We'll do it, but before we air it, we want, uh, we want a filmed, uh, uh interview with the president, his chief of staff, and his National Security Council saying that this is true. And MJ12 essentially led her on a, uh, uh round robin so to speak of uh, different bases and different facilities and all kinds of things for about 8 months uh at the end of which uh it was it was just terminated she never heard anything more
0: well that must have been very frustrating i'm going to have to ask her about she that had
1: ne- she had there was no more contact and only a few years later did she run into somebody who was involved in that and they said i'm sorry it turned out the way it did uh linda uh, but we had no option. There was no further explanation.
6: Wow, strange. But the
1: stories she told me of where they took her and the things she saw was just absolutely fascinating. And, of course, uh, Linda Howe is very articulate, very oh, yes. knowledgeable, oh, yes. and keeps voluminous notes. So, uh, you know, it was just, wasn't just some story she was telling.
0: Mm-hmm. By the way, John, uh, again on the subject of Linda Howe, I talked to her earlier today, and uh, she said she's going to be on the way to New Mexico. She's had enough. There's too much going on down there, so she's going to be on her way to New Mexico and will be reporting to us from New Mexico.
1: Well, she was the leading authority on uh, mutilation. She did that uh, documentary for the ABC affiliate in Denver in, 19, I think it was, uh, well, what was it, 1980.
0: Right, I believe so.
1: And then her and I, uh, after the Crestone meeting, uh, drove down to see. Uh, go, drove down to Roswell, and oddly enough, here we are driving out in the middle of the desert, just about 15 miles north of where the first UFO crashed, and we're on this little teeny road, it's a dirt road, about a million miles from nowhere, and uh, we're. Dr- I'm driving along in this truck, and we saw a dead cow, and I, I thought, well, here I am with the world's leading authority on cattle mutilations, and. We see a dead cow. So we get out there, and, and there was none of the classic cookie-cutter uh, cookie uh, uh, incisions. But we started looking around, and, and we saw three others. And then we saw two others, and then I stood up on the, uh, the bed of the truck, and I think we counted 34 cows. Wow. And uh, so we went to uh, wow. found the nearest ranch and asked the guy if he knew about the cows. And he said, yeah. He said they were they died of some disease. Well, Linda Howe checked in with a veterinarian on this, whatever the disease was, and I don't remember what it is now, but the veterinarian said, no way. He said, if that had been that disease, that place would have been cordoned off within 100 miles. Uh-huh. It's just a very odd, one of those unexplained...
0: Uh, it is, and I've heard Linda say, uh tell exactly the same story, John. Uh, so I guess that's the way it happened. That was her and That was uh, like in
1: 1986.
0: All 10? right. All right. Um, she's still trying to get it out to the public uh, today, and that's, uh, what, uh, well over a decade now.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, then the Eisenhower Breedy 4 um, leaked to Hollywood producer and friend of Bill Moore.
1: Yeah, that was Jamie Chandra, and uh, one day he received in the mail uh, this film, which was undeveloped, which he had developed, and it was, uh, it was the Eisenhower breathing as as we've come to know it, and it was uh, supposedly the briefing that Eisenhower got when he became president on the alien situation. It told the members of, uh, told about the Roswell crash. It told uh, what there. It told the original members of MJ12 and what they planned to do with it. It's a very interesting document. Now,
7: people say, Thanks.
1: and I say, the information was definitely true. Not necessarily that the document itself was uh, was a legitimate document.
0: Or all right. All right. Um, then uh, you say, 1985, my interest begins. Uh, actually, it began a little earlier than that. What, what made you write that, John? Why 1985?
1: That's when Greg Wilson came through Las Vegas. And,
0: uh, and told you the story about the Bentwaters? Story. Yeah, okay, I see. Then 1986, uh, and I remember this one very well. JAL 747 Captain is followed by UFO three times as big as an aircraft carrier, and I remember that.
1: It was an enormous, uh, enormous craft, and it followed him for an hour. He was on his way from uh, uh, Keflavik, Iceland to uh, Anchorage, fuel stop in Anchorage, and then on to Japan. And uh, about uh, an hour out of uh, Anchorage, at uh, 33,000 feet, this night, uh, this thing appears in front of the aircraft. And uh, it was not a passenger flight, it was cargo, and so there was only three guys in the cockpit, but they all thought... Radar had it. it, returned to be sure it wasn't a, some gigantic reflection of some sort. They uh, they went down to um, 29,000 feet to see if it would follow them, and it did. Hmm. Uh, and then after about an hour, it just left, and they landed, gave their FAA report. And other than a few comical news stories, they ignored by the press, specifically by Aviation Week and Space Technology, who is our premier aviation magazine, didn't give it one word, not even a sentence.
0: Well for all your flying, John, and the one incident you have had that may have been something like that, you must talk to all kinds of other captains, lots of friends in the industry. Do they talk about this, John? Uh,
1: Not unless uh, policy, uh, cockpit etiquette, bring this up. uh, Unless I've been with a crew for a long time, and unless it seems appropriate. uh, But you find out that maybe a third of the, the pilots have seen something.
0: All right, uh, we're at the bottom of the hour. This is where we pause. We've been doing sort of a uh, historical look at UFOs, how John became involved, and we're just about up to modern. This is CBC.
4: Appearing coast to coast AM with Art Bell, much more than just a talk show. To participate in the program, call toll free 1 800 618 8255. That's 1 800 618 8255. This is the CBC Radio Network. It is, and when we get
0: the telephone lines open, uh, that toll free line will be restricted to people east of the Great Rocky Mountains. Good morning. I'm Art Bell. My guest is John Lear, airline captain, IFO investigator in (laughs) semi-retirement. And uh, we'll get back to him in just a moment. All right, back now to John Lear. John? Yeah. All right, um... Uh, we're, we're getting up toward the modern day here, uh, but first uh, let us look at 1987 and uh, particularly the Gulf Breeze sightings because that's still going on, John. Uh, it's still going on. We're getting photographs. There have been recent photographs, one uh, which is a very interesting picture. A lot of people are following up on that right now. And um, the same gentleman at, at Gulf Breeze uh, continually seeing these craft. What is your assessment of what happened at Gulf Breeze?
1: Well, I first uh, heard about it in 1987 when the Channel 4, I believe it was down there, put out the documentary, and it had Ed Walters' film uh, that he took out the back door of this craft uh, hovering uh, behind the the tree line there, just over the tree line. And it was tremendously interesting. There was no doubt in my mind that... uh, that, uh, from the videotape that this thing occurred, but there was so, so many people jumped on it as a hoax and, uh, it, they just did back flips to try and prove it was a hoax. But That's right. in my opinion, it, it was not. It was the, it was the true thing. And, uh, Ed Walters, uh, just took a tremendous amount of flack over the years for, uh, showing this film and for saying the things he did. But, uh, I believe him 100%.
0: Uh, He's uh, not easy to get as an interviewee. Um, I've tried to get Ed Walters a few times, and uh, he's uh, somewhat cantankerous and uh, not very interested in publicity. Is that your take? I would
1: would be, too, if I had undergone what he did. I mean, he just took... uh, It was merciless.
0: Mm. Wasn't there something about somebody who supposedly found a model in a a house that Walters had rented or something or another? I, I can't...
1: House and the people who moved in found in the attic a, uh, a model of what he had videotaped, made out of uh, I think he's a designer and architect, out of some architectural drawings uh, that he made. Unfortunately, the people who tried to hoax this used architectural drawings that were dated after, substantially after this incident. Oh. And uh, it was just a complete setup from beginning to end.
0: Oh, well, and yet, that and the guys who tromped around the field in England and any other story, weak as it may be, John, that seems to um, make people laugh at all this and say, Aha, see, what a hoax. Those stories stick like glue. Yeah. Fifty people can look up in the sky and see a saucer or see a craft, and, uh, and one stupid story comes along, and it blows away all that good... Uh, how come, Why is that?
1: Because the disinformation is so firmly in place after 46 years that there's just no way. It's just, they've done a fantastic job with, of uh, disinformation.
0: What is the uh, John Lear hypothesis?
1: Uh, that was the hypothesis that I wrote in December of 1987, when I felt really strongly that people had to know what we're here and and, uh, they have a deal with our government to, uh, <clears throat> to provide, um, uh, help in the, uh, in the security and the secrecy of the overall program in return for, uh, advanced technology, some of it weapons, some of it other technology. And it was just something that I wrote then, which became known as the John Lear hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Since then, I've, you know, modified several of the views, but essentially it's, it's the same.
0: So by 87, you were deep into it
1: deep into it, and that's when I gave the lectures at, uh, uh, at the Spring Valley Library, and that's when usually, uh, I think they had seating capacity for 300, and they'd never had a speaker that drew over, say, 40 or 50, maybe 60 people, and they had uh, 700 people show up every time I came to speak. Wow. And uh, it was then that one of the guys who attended the lectures uh, wanted to borrow some tapes, he came over to my house and brought with him a young scientist named Bob Lazar and Bob Lazar had, had uh, formerly worked at uh, at uh, uh in, in New Mexico at the uh, LANL uh what am i trying to say there what what uh, laboratory uh,
0: sent was it Sandia
1: no not Sandia i don't know how i could uh, forget that name but <clears throat> he worked there as a scientist and uh, he just didn't believe in uh, ufos at all i mean it just it was it was a joke to him and uh... we watched some tapes and i loaned him some tapes um, and, uh... and uh... over a period of a, of a few months he became more and more suspicious not so much of the evidence of the existence of ufos but of the the uh, strange ways in which the government tried to cover up or suppress some of the information. Mm-hmm. Uh, at any rate, there came a point where uh, he had not been in the scientific community for uh, working with it uh, for several years, and he decided that he'd try and get in and see if he could, you know, find out if it was really true. Uh, so he made application to. Uh, first of all, he called uh, Dr. Keller, who he had known from. Uh, New Mexico,
0: no,
1: uh, Los Alamos,
0: Los Alamos, Alamos. That's the SDI Teller, right? Uh-huh.
1: And uh, and, the, and the father of the uh, the H uh, bomb. Through Teller, he was uh, given uh, interview at uh, E. G. and G. And over process of I think it was a couple of months, uh, he was invited to go to work up at the test site. Now the first now I knew that he was getting interviewed, but uh, I didn't know when he was going, and then. Uh, in December of 1988, uh, he came up to my house and, uh, I'm writing out some checks and he's sitting, uh, in front of my desk and I said, what's going on, Bob? And he said, and it was like about 7.30 or 8 in the evening. He said, I saw a disc today.
2: Yeah. I
1: thought I didn't hear him clearly. I said, what? And he said, I saw a disc today. And I said, theirs or ours? And he said, theirs. And I said, oh my God, did you go to the test site? And he said, yeah, I just got back. And I said, well, then what are you doing here? I said, obviously they followed you and you're not supposed to be talking. Why don't you work up there for a while and then tell us what's going on? He said, no. He said, uh, you've taken such a, a lot of flack over this that I think you deserve to know. And then he launched into what he had seen um, during the time he was up there, which included a, a disc and some of the technology and a lot of the briefing reports. And uh, we talked for about three hours. As a matter of fact, it was three hours and 17 minutes. Because when he got home, there was a knock on his door, and there was two security guys there mm. who asked him to come along, that they had some questions. They took him downtown to uh, a, uh, an office there, and they said, What were you doing at John Lear's house for three hours and 17 minutes? And we had already cooked up a story where I was uh, uh, filling out a, a log page for his wife, who was a pilot. And, uh, and uh, it went from there. Anyway, he worked up there for about four or five months and would occasionally come by and and say what he'd seen.
0: What was uh, Bob's job?
1: Bob's job at S4 was to, as a scientist, he was to back engineer uh, one of the extraterrestrial vehicles. In other words, his job was to back engineer the propulsion uh, of the saucer, find out how it worked and uh, find out if we could duplicate it. Uh, But he said there was only about 20 people, maybe 15 or 20 people, working up there, and they didn't really have the resources or the equipment to do a proper job. And one of the reasons he went public was his disagreement of how the project was being handled. He felt that it should be uh, more spread around, that people with, with the actual talent, more people with actual talent should be allowed to participate in this project.
0: So it was very compartmentalized.
1: Very compartmentalized, as, as all things are. But at any rate, on March twenty first, uh, 1989, I was over at his house, and it was a Tuesday, and he said, uh, John, they're going to test fly one of the craft tomorrow. Do you want to go see it? And I said, well, uh-huh. how can we do that?
2: Uh-huh. And he said, well,
1: I know a place near Groom Lake we can drive, uh, and we can not be within the confines of the restricted area, and we can watch it. So uh, he and I, and uh, I think his wife, and uh, Gene Huff, who was the one who introduced me to Bob, drove up there, and I said, you know, when do they test? He said, well, right at sunset. And it's always on Wednesday evening, because statistically, that is the time of least travel in in that particular uh, area, uh, Highway 375. So we go up there and uh, unload, we had my motorhome and I had my Celestron 8 telescope, which is a very powerful telescope, and we were unloading it and here this thing comes up from behind the mountains and they're watching it and I'm trying to focus it in. and uh, Very difficult because I had the uh, 90 degree objective in it and up is down and left is right, but finally I got it and uh, there was no doubt in my mind, I was looking at a real flying saucer. It was uh, kind of yellowish-orange, and it was radiating something. Uh, it was glowing, and it settled back behind the mountains. And uh, for all the people that try and discredit Bob and say, no, he didn't work there, no, he's just making this all up, you know, the fact is he told me a day in advance exactly what fly fly uh, within, you know, plus or minus month for myself. So unless you think I'm in on the hoax, <laughs> uh, you know, he's telling he did work there.
0: Well, uh, of course, he's been way out on... Um, you know, there's been no uh, remuneration that I'm aware Yes, you. there is some kind of a movie underway, though, isn't there, John?
1: Yeah, they're making a movie on his life story.
0: On Bob Lazar's they, life story. Yeah. Uh-huh. And
1: it's, uh, I think, New Line Cinema.
0: New Line Cinema, it's, sure. It's
1: the movie company. I, don't, uh, I think they're, they're well advanced in the project. I think they finished the script. I don't know too much about it, but... Uh,
0: Have you been involved in it at no. all? Not at all. So through all these years of doing the interviews with you, John, as, as you've investigated and I've done radio, I have yet to see you be involved uh, in, in any profit aspect of this, and you just haven't gone after it, and I'm sure you could have. I mean, your name is everywhere in UFO journals, and you uh, have been at the very center of it, so you could have capitalized on it at any point.
8: No, I
1: just wanted to find out what the truth is, if, if that was possible, uh, just for my own uh, interest. You know, I, I love flying, and that's my business, and I do it, you know, 18 days a month, and then I have you know, 10, 12 days off, and I uh, go out and, uh, on my days off and take care of my lawn, and, and the rest of the things I have to do. I'm not, you know, totally absorbed, as it's very easy to get in this field, and your whole life is consumed with chasing down every little lead. uh, You know, I think I got to pretty much as much as we're ever going to find out, uh, and that was enough for me.
0: All right. um, You were working uh, flying then, of course, as you always do. Right. And this whole thing got you fired, didn't it?
1: Yeah. I I was the senior captain with uh, a very large charter company called American Transair. I was the senior captain on the Lockheed L-1011, I had been there for six years, I was a Czech Airman, uh, and July 7th, they called me to Indianapolis. and I I really didn't know what it was about, and I walked into this room, and there was the uh, Vice President of Operations, the Chief Pilot, uh, an attorney, and a guy from Human Resources. Uh-huh. And they held up an article that had been written about me, and they said, John, is it true that you believe in flying saucers, and I said, yes, and they said, why? And I gave my you know about a ten minute summary and they said, John, there's just no possible way that anybody who believes in flying saucers could be a captain for American Transair. Air. Uh, you're fired.
0: You're and, fired. Just and, like that.
1: I said, When well, I look, I said if it's, you know, uh, I have tried not to involve the company at all, I said, How about if I just not give any more lectures and we take a look at this maybe ninety days down the line and you can see that, you know, I've been true to my word and they said, No, this is it. And uh, so they gave me three months' pay if I would sign a statement that I would never sue them, uh, which I did because I couldn't afford to go very long without a paycheck. Sure. And I went to to work for another company.
0: As you look back on your career now, John, uh, how much effect, other than that particular incident, has there been?
1: Uh, I lost another job that I really would have liked to have had uh, that involved the Air Force and uh, NASA, Project that I really wanted to do, uh, and I was actually hired by the contracting company. Uh, but they called me up one day, and uh, the contracting officer said, "John, I don't know what you did uh, to irritate the Air Force and NASA, but when we submitted your name as one of the pilots, they said not only no, but hell no." And
0: uh, mm. so, so uh, there's been plenty of effect then.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't give lectures anymore. I never wrote a book. I don't intend to. Uh, this is really the only only thing that I ever do is whenever you call because uh, you've been uh, uh, hmm. really fair with me and uh, over the years and it's just kind of nice to come on and, uh, and chat once in a while. Yeah, it
0: has been a lot of years now. All right, so that's a pretty complete history of your involvement and of UFOs in general. Uh, I've got a fax here, and if anybody else who wants to fax us with a question, by the way, you're welcome to do it. Uh, at area code 702-727-8499. And I'll I'll give that number again. But but here's a question for you, John. It's a classic. Uh, Art, a lot of people speculate the reason UFOs are kept secret is that it would conflict with religion. Personally, I think UFOs and religion can cohabitate in uh, reality with no conflict. I'd be interested in what John has to say on the subject.
1: Uh, As you know, Art, I steer clear clear of any religious aspects of this, because all it does is irritate people.
0: So It really does, I know. And it, so I thought, thought I'd just go ahead and get it out of the way with that question.
1: But the, the answer is yes. What, the, the overriding reason is religion. And uh, before we go to the phones, if that's what we're going to do... We're right is,
0: right uh, after the top of the hour, John. Is uh, right after the top of the hour, we'll go to the phones.
1: Okay, well then, give me time to ask five questions and answer them to avoid having people call up and ask the question.
0: All right, good. Let's. Uh, you want to start on that now? Okay. All right, go ahead.
1: If they're here, why don't they contact our president? Well, I think we all know the answer to that concerning our current president, but let's assume we had another president. <laughs> and the answer is this. When you visit an ant farm, do you just talk to any old ant, or do you find the queen and talk to her? Huh. I, I,
0: I'm not sure I like being thought of as part of the ant farm, but I guess I am. Huh.
1: Here's the second question. Mm. If the government couldn't cover up Watergate, how could they cover this up for 45 years? Well, the Watergate episode was an inside job to get uh, Nixon out of office, uh, just as the assassination of President Kennedy was, but with a little more, but not much more, tech. Now, that doesn't mean I agree with Nixon, but, but that was an inside job. The fact is the government can cover up anything they want to if it's important enough, mm-hmm. and I can sure assure you that if you are reasonably well-informed that you only know about 5% of what there is to know.
0: I used to wonder about that, John, myself, but I, I too, have joined the club of you bet they can keep it secret. So. Yeah.
1: Now, let's see. If, if what you have to say is really true, John Lear, then why doesn't the government stop you? Mm -hmm. Number one, it would only add credibility to my story. And number two, I don't reach enough people for it to make any difference. The belief systems are too well locked in for me to be of any great threat at all. Without hardware, there is simply no proof, regardless of the number of uh, eyewitnesses.
2: It's true.
6: Uh,
1: Why wouldn't any of the astronauts or military officers come forward and tell the truth? The answer is for the simple reason that all of us are dependent on money, whether through current employment or retirement pay for our very existence. For an astronaut or military man to come forward with the truth would net him three minutes on hard copy and the rest of his retirement working at a 7-Eleven. Yeah. So for what?
0: Yeah, I agree. Although there was a recent statement by Neil Armstrong that uh, would cause your teeth to rattle. Are you familiar with that at all? No, what did he say? I uh, uh, Rather than paraphrase it, John, I'm going to dig it out of my computer during the top of the hour, and I'll give you the comment. And let, we'll see what you have to say about it. It's fascinating. Anyway, do you have one more?
1: One quick more is, uh, what about the news media? Your Dan Rathers and your Tom Brokaw's and your Ted Koppel's, why wouldn't they come forward and tell the truth? And for the very hmm. simple reason that they are glorified teleprompter readers. They have very little to say about what they are going to say. They can't come in uh, one fine day and say, tonight? I'm going to expose the UFO cover-up. There are just too many people over him with vested interests, such as the station license, to let him do that. Notwithstanding the fact that all he has is words and no hardware. Mm-hmm. So we've got rid of those five questions.
0: Uh, we have, but uh, without fail, John, I would bet at least four out of five of them will be asked before the night's over. <laughs> Uh, hey, have you heard this story about the mysterious ocean noise, the yeah. thumping or the heartbeat sound? Yeah. Uh, they say they think it's man-made, and they're sending down divers, and they say it might be a, a ship, you know, even thousands of miles away. These things do travel underwater, but on the other hand, it might be something else? Well, yeah, that's, I
1: don't have any opinion on that.
0: All right. John, hold it right there. Relax. We'll be back. I'll get that statement by Neil Armstrong. Stay right there. Okay. You're listening to the CBC Radio Network. My guest is John Lear.
4: Kingdom of Nine. You're hearing Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell on the CBC Radio Network. Good morning, everybody. I am Art Bell. My guest is John Lear,
0: airline captain, believer in identified flying objects, IFOs. He says he knows what they are. We've done a two-hour review of UFOs since uh, about 1945 or six. And John Lear's career and uh, what he's done with UFOs. And um, uh, John doesn't give many interviews. This is one of those rare times. So I suggest you stay planted. We're about to open the telephone lines. In fact, we are going to do that uh, coming up now in just a moment. I want to remind you the toll-free line for uh, the remainder of this hour and possibly a little longer since we haven't even opened them yet. Uh, the toll-free line is restricted to those of you east of the Rockies at 1-800-618-8255. East of the Rockies only, 1-800-618-8255. Well, all right, everybody. I'm Art Bell. My guest is John Lear, the son of Bill Lear, um, who invented the uh, eight-trap eight-track tape deck uh, and invented the uh, Learjet, of course. Uh, John's father had an abiding interest in UFOs. John got one himself, but not because of his father's, interestingly. He did it on his own because of events that we've just documented over the last couple of hours. Now, uh, back to John Lear. John? Yes, sir. All right. um, Neil Armstrong, on the occasion of the anniversary of the uh, Apollo mission to the moon was at the White House about uh, three weeks ago now, I guess, four weeks ago, something like that. Anyway, uh, Neil Armstrong rarely does public appearances, rarely has anything to say, but when he does, wow. What he said, and I took this quote directly from the NBC Evening News, was as follows, quote, and he said this at the White House, quote, there are great ideas undiscovered breakthroughs available to those who can remove one of truth's protective layers. There are places to go beyond belief. End quote. Neil Armstrong. What do you think he meant, John?
1: Well, it sounds like a pretty powerful statement. Uh, You know, Both Neil and Buzz Aldrin and most of the astronauts, all of them, have seen something, and they've all seen incredible things. And they've been silenced by NASA, and over the years, you know, it kind of wears at them. They'd like to get it out, but uh, uh, they can't be as blatant as say, yes, I saw this, and yes, I saw that. So I, I think that's basically what he's saying. I've heard some of the astronauts come out very uh, vociferously and say, listen to me carefully. There are no UFOs. Do you understand what I'm saying? No UFOs. And what they're saying is, no, there's no unidentified flying objects. They're all identified. (laughs) Um, uh,
0: The astronauts, uh, particularly the ones that went to the moon, uh, the early astronauts, have all had big trouble, John. Psychological troubles, a lot of divorces, a lot of drinking, a lot of trouble, period. And one source of that trouble, one might speculate, is that they have knowledge that they can't talk about that's eating away at them. Could that be so
1: definitely and that's one of the ways in which they they keep this secret is uh, through a, a it's called pain drugs hypnosis uh, where when they tell you this stuff they give you a briefing and, and uh, it involves pain uh, it involves drugs and involves hypnosis so that it doesn't bother you that much but it doesn't always work on everybody and uh, they know they have this knowledge and And it's hard to know something with this, you know, with the ramifications of this kind of thing, and not be able to tell tell somebody.
0: Yeah, would eat you alive, I suppose. Uh, John, uh, just before we go to the phones, uh, you have said, and this really is very different than a lot of uh, ufologists today, that you've come to the conclusion that while you were digging in earlier years, so that the world might know, you now don't think we ought to know. Or that we have a right to know? Or that it would be good for us to know? Or how do you explain that, and why?
1: Well, it, it has to do with religion. And, and no, people should not know this. This is uh, this is something that, uh, as irritating as might be, it's none of their business. There's nothing they can do to influence or modify it in any way. It's best they just go on with their lives and uh, <clears throat> pay their taxes, find something they enjoy, boating, sailing, growing lawn or something like that and get on with their life because there's, there's no reason to know this and, and if they knew the, 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 the true ramifications of this uh, it would bother them uh, it, would eventually, uh, it would eventually result in the breakdown of society so.
0: the breakdown of society how much do you know John, without telling me what you know how much do you still know that you haven't told?
1: Not very much. I've told you much of this stuff. You know, the stuff I'm not talking about is religious stuff. And if you think a while, you can figure out what it's all about. You know, it's... uh, I've told you most of the stuff.
0: But maybe not all.
1: No, not all, because there's a lot of of sensitive, very sensitive stuff uh, regarding religion.
0: All right. Uh, let us take some calls, uh, John, and uh, I want to remind everybody the uh, toll-free line is East of the Rockies only at one 800 618 and let us venture forth. Hi there. On our East of the Rockies line, you're on the air with John Lear. Hello there. Uh, no, you're not. On the first-time caller line, you're on the air with John Lear. Good morning.
9: Hello, John. This is uh, Kogo, San Diego.
0: San Diego. Yes, sir. Our
9: great uh, Joe. Question... Um sounds like if the U.S. Uh, has some of this technology that it really wouldn't be too big of a problem being confronted with other nations like Russia with uh, their type of military. Um, do you think uh,
1: this type of technology can be implemented in such cases like war or anything like that?
0: All right. Um, what about it, John?
1: Well, it certainly can, and this may be the result of, of the, uh, the breakdown of the Soviet Union. Maybe we told them what we got and which direction we want them to go in. I don't know that for a fact, but it's possible that happened. Our technology base is about 30 years of where everyone thinks it is. When you look at the space shuttle and all the the, the uh, satellites and the neat stuff we got going, our technology base is 30 years ahead of that.
2: 30
6: uh, years ahead of that. Just to give you an
1: example of what I'm talking about, um, about 25 years ago, uh, you read in the paper about talking rock technology. Yes. And what that was, was they put uh, a rock in an anechoic chamber and gave it a pulse, like, hello. And uh, the rock absorbed the vibrations, and by measuring the vibrations, about a half a second later, uh, measuring the vibrations, they could pull out the word, hello. Well, in 25 or 30 years later, what they have now is a means to beam into a room and pulling off, measuring the vibrations that have been given, you know, any of the crystal structure, like glass or windows or anything like that, right. and pull out a conversation that was held seven days ago.
0: Wow. Wow. That's some technology. On our east of the Rockies line, you're on the air with John Lear. Uh, good morning.
10: Hello.
0: Hi, where are you, sir?
10: In Leavenworth, Kansas.
0: Leavenworth, all right.
10: Hello?
0: You're on the air. Go ahead.
10: I was wanting to. Uh talk about Project Blue Book. All right. I was wanting to find out whether it's still being researched or if you've even heard of it.
0: Well, of course, uh, we've heard of it. Uh, John, any, any comments on Blue Book? It was, it is no more, or is it now going on below the surface? It
1: was, it was established in uh, 1948 or 49, and it was brought to a halt in 1969 by the Condon Committee and what they said is based on all their research, uh, uh, flying saucers did not represent a threat to national security. Now they didn't go as far to say as they didn't exist. What they said was...
2: They're not they're, a threat.
1: They're not a threat. But, uh, project, actually, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the actual project was called Grudge, uh, the research of different sightings, and yes, that still goes on. Huh. Uh, Project Grudge is an active project.
0: That's an interesting conclusion. Uh, to not rule out their existence, but state they have no, uh, they are not a threat to uh, national security it doesn't make sense to me. If they exist, they certainly would be a potential threat. Yeah.
1: Well, they okay. got away with
0: it. Yeah. On, on the uh, uh, toll-free line, you're on the air with John Lear. Good morning. Where are you calling from, please?
11: Uh, Kansas City, Missouri.
0: Kansas City, Missouri. All right.
11: Okay. Uh, what i want to say here has to do with the uh, religion aspect, if that's okay with uh, Mr. Lear. Sure. Okay. Uh, here's my opinion. This is just my opinion now, so uh, this could not might not mean anything to you at all. But I am a Christian, and uh, what I have gained from this is that uh, this is just my opinion, but that UFOs have actually been built under the watchful eye of the Illuminati.
12: Does that make any sense to you? Yes, I've read that before. What do you think about that? Uh.
0: To, choose your words carefully.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
11: huh? It's it's possible uh, for the reason to explain. Do you believe in the rapture? I don't mean to to make
5: this into a religious show.
0: Yeah, please, please don't. Uh, okay. Pl- please don't. Uh, there, in other words, John um, believes there is a connection uh, between religion and UFOs. Can he please he,
1: expound on
13: that, that? That
0: you would not find agreeable, in which he would rather not expound on. I think, um, John
1: no i I it's all the same to you, I do not want to expound on my religious views
0: all right uh it's it's kind of like uh, when you say this i and i I guess we had to cover it John but uh, when you say this it's like putting a box on the table that says, "Do not open this box and then just leaving it there and everybody who comes past will inevitably uh, open the box and so they want to open the box I understand that uh, but Perhaps some boxes are best left unopened. <laughs> right. On the uh, wild card line, you're on the air with John Lear. Good morning.
13: Hi. Uh, I'm calling from the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. And yes, sir. I can prove right now that what you, uh, what Mr. Lear is saying is the opposite of the truth because uh-huh. uh, the U.S. government is not covering up information about the existence of extraterrestrial life. Uh, Government intelligence agencies have been spreading the rumor that aliens are among us to UFO researchers, and this has been documented by Jacques Vallée in his book, Revelations. Uh, for example, uh, in 1983, the uh, proven disinformation agent, uh, 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 Richard Doty at uh, uh, Kirtland Air Force Base, uh, invited Linda Howe to... Uh, that Air Force Base and showed her these alleged secret documents claiming aliens among us. Then in 1985, Jacques Vallée and J. Allen Hynek were uh, invited to Norton Air Force Base by some generals there and told that aliens are among us. And and I think it's all a lie, and I have a reason for it.
0: Well, alright, give that to us. You said you had proof, sir, so go ahead and lay it out.
13: The proof is what I just told you, and you just get Jacques Vallée's book, Revelations. That proves that the government isn't hiding it, it's it's pushing it on UFO researchers and the reason for this reverse psychology disinformation campaign was stated by Stanton Friedman when he said that a belief in alien life would cause people to lose their faith in the value of nation states and lead to the acceptance of world government, which is exactly what the power elite who control the government wants, since their multinational corporations have most to gain from globalism.
0: All right, uh, so there it is, John. He lays it out. It is something he's charging uh, to lead us toward the one world uh, government, that sort of thing. Well, I certainly respect
1: his opinion, and uh, since I don't have any hardware, I'm certainly not going to be able to prove you know, what I say.
0: Uh, John, at one time, can you tell the story about Element 115?
1: Yeah, element 115 is, is the power source, uh, for these extraterrestrial craft. Uh, we've been able to, uh, uh synthesize up to like 106. Uh, but there is an element uh, on up the line that is 115. And by pumping protons into 115, it becomes 116, which immediately decays. And, uh, what the de- what the result of the decay is is antimatter, mm-hmm. and when antimatter is mixed with matter, it's a hundred percent conversion of uh, matter to energy, which is is a very very large explosion. And what they do is they control this explosion to create heat, and also out of this uh, this uh, reaction, they pull off the gravity a wave. With, with, uh, without going into details, they used to prevail themselves uh, across the universe at speeds hundreds of times faster than the speed of light.
0: Uh, at one time, um, and I, I, you tell as much of the story as you can, or tell me to go fly a kite, but you had your hands on some 115, didn't you?
1: Yes, Bob Lazar had his hands on some 115. We did some experiments which proved it was exactly what he said it was. And uh, I believe it was the evening of the George Knapp uh, UFO's The Best Evidence. Uh, We we kept very close watch on this stuff, but since we had it four or five months, we became a little careless and it was left out. And that night they broke into Bob's uh, house and
0: took it. So you no longer have it. but uh, That's about as close as you've come to hardware. That's correct. All right. On the uh, toll-free line, you're on the air with John Lear. Hello. Hello there. No, you're not. On the first-time caller line, you're on the air with John Lear. Good morning.
3: Hi, Art. This is Randy from Leavenworth, Washington. Hi, Randy. Um, I'm calling to ask Mr. Lear about the uh, three different kinds of aliens. I I subscribe to a newsletter, and it talks about all the government research. And the different type ships are different aliens from different sectors in the universe. And there's the uh, reptilian form, the insectoid, and the human type.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, there may be a lot more than that. John, how many are there?
3: Well, in opinion, and this is only my opinion,
1: uh, there's about 70 types that uh, are visiting Earth at one time or another uh, with various agendas. Some of them don't have anything to do with co- what's going on here. They're just coming down to take a look. But uh, they're all different types. And uh, some of them, that if you had a chance to look at it, you would actually die of fright because they are so alien to uh, to what we are used to.
0: Hmm. How's that, color
3: that, that sounds good.
0: All right, thanks. Uh, you would die of fright. Uh, are they able to appear to us uh, in, in a form uh, different than that which would cause us to die of fright?
1: Apparently, some of them can do that, but uh, according to some of the abduction stories, uh, they hide themselves... You you can't get a look. You can see their their shape, but you can't see their face. And that's prevalent, uh, if you've read uh, John Mack's book, that's prevalent throughout all the abductions is they cannot see the face.
0: Yeah, it's true. I had John Mack on the program about uh, three weeks ago, uh, John.
1: Very interesting guy, and I really enjoyed his book. It was more of the same, but it's interesting stuff.
0: Uh, It is. Uh, You know about the incident in which uh, some young lady apparently set him up
1: yes I thought that was uh, really disgraceful and, but it's just media tactics um, you know I don't know what she gained by that you know, it just uh,
0: or what agenda or whose agenda she was serving by you know, doing that it was just an unfortunate incident you know I mean here we've got a Harvard professor lots of credibility and, uh, and he gets set up I mean that's just almost too much for even me John, hang tight. We're bottom of the hour. We'll be back to you. John Lear is my guest. Uh, Pilot, pilot now, captain of an aircraft. We'll be back with more on UFOs.
4: the kingdom of nye this is coast to coast am with art bell on the cbc radio network good morning everybody i am
0: art bell my guest is john lear and we are talking about ifos in deference to john identified flying objects we'll get back to john in just a moment now back to your calls and john lear johnny there I'm here. All right. Are you ready? All set. Here they come. Uh, on the uh, east of the Rockies line, top of the morning, you're on the air with John Lear. Where are you calling from? Uh,
14: Fort Worth, Texas.
0: Fort Worth, Texas. Okay.
14: Yeah, Mr. Lear,
15: you say you, there are things you don't want to talk about for religious purposes, but I wanted to tell a story that I believe is true. Uh, all the cosmonauts reported seeing these uh, huge angelic-like beings with their arms crossed. And a smile on their face, like they knew something was going to happen, and that was before Chernobyl blew up. And John Glenn reports seeing something on Freedom 7 flight.
0: Yeah, it's it it really is true uh, uh, with regard to the angelic beings. Uh, John, I also remember that report. Uh, do you?
1: Yes. Now, well, when they had their arms crossed and they were smiling, they were smiling
15: because Chernobyl was going to happen. Could be. <laughs>
14: now Russia wants
15: bibles. What kind of an angel is that? Russia now wants
0: bibles in their schools. <laughs> yeah. All right, ma'am. Thank you. That's no guardian angel, is it, John? Uh, Not I wa- I'd like to have. Uh, I wonder how she could conclude that uh, it was because of Chernobyl. Uh, that's that's really uh, that's really strange. Uh, on the other hand, I recall you saying one thing to me, John, that has haunted me for years and haunts me today. Uh, We have had a number of guests on this radio program about life after death. Inevitably, in every warm and fuzzy life after death story, people rush toward the warm, inviting light. Down the tunnel, into the light. And once you said to me, John, don't go toward the light, it's a trick. Go toward the darkness.
1: Well, now, remember, I I qualified that by saying that's what Whitley Strieber told
0: me. (laughs) Well, it still bugs me to this day, John, because what if I had to make that choice?
1: Well, right now, I'm going towards the darkness.
0: You are, huh? Yeah. I don't know. Oh, boy, that really drives me crazy. On our toll-free line, you're on the air with John Lear. Good morning. Where are you calling from, please?
8: I'm calling from Kodiak, Alaska.
0: Kodiak, Alaska. Yes, sir.
8: Yes, this is Dave. I've uh, heard John talk about time travel, and I'm convinced that uh, time travel is possible, and it's already happened. Uh, I opened those seals when I was 30 years old, and that, together with uh, my birthday and the scriptures, uh, unlocked the whole mystery.
0: All right, sir. Don, uh, time travel, uh, time travel. uh, We've talked about it before. It's one of my favorite subjects. Do you believe time travel to be possible?
1: No question about it.
0: No, nope, really?
1: Is absolutely possible. You can go forward in time much easier than you can go back, but you can certainly go back in time.
0: I once wondered, and as have many people, and I'm going to make you uh, tell me it's not true again, whether you and uh, Mr. Lazar um, have thought of trying to construct something to traverse time.
1: Well, yes, we thought about it, but it, it it's a big deal. I mean, it's just you just can't go out and make this thing. You need uh, a lot of equipment, so that's you know, sheer speculation, and it it'd be fun to try, but you know, we don't have any of the stuff. But we certainly have talked about it. Just
0: an idle question of curiosity, John. If you had such a device,
1: incidentally, we were going to go forward because that's a lot easier to do than going back. That
0: was going to be my question. Uh, where would you go? Time-wise,
1: well, all you have to do to to go forward in time is uh, is create a strong gravitational field, and you more or less just stay there while all the rest of the world passes, you know, as, as time goes by. Then, when you remove the gravitational field, uh, you're wherever they were.
0: I see. All right, on my East of the Rockies line, you're on the air with John Lear. Hello. Yes.
7: Uh... Where
0: Where are you, sir?
7: i San Antonio, Texas.
0: San Antonio, Texas, all right.
7: Go ahead. I've got a story about a friend, a uh, dear friend of mine I've known about 12 years. He's a retired colonel, and I'm not going to release his name. for He never gave me permission to do so. But he relayed a story to me and my wife about his encounter with uh, a spaceship. Now, he told me that he was on his way to West Texas, driving, I guess, toward El Paso. And he and his wife had seen this aircraft, but he said it wasn't an aircraft. It was a large disc that it went across his vehicle, came back, hovered, went uh, vertical, up and down, then left and right, and then just left. And then he's a Air Force colonel, retired, and uh, he's still aviation. He uh, flies uh, private flights now. He said there's no way anyone can ever tell him that there, is, that there doesn't exist uh, aliens.
0: All right, sir. Thank you. Well, there's a story. It's true. Once you've seen one yourself, your attitude really changes, uh, doesn't it, John?
1: Yeah, it really does. Uh, but you know, it's so few of us get to see those things. Now, for instance, I'd love to see one. I saw the one that Bob took me up to, uh, and I saw that at night. Now, my wife, Marilee, who didn't believe in any of this before, as a matter of fact, you know, it almost came to it. it almost. Split up our family because of my interest in this. Uh, she's from Mississippi and, uh, she just didn't believe any of it. And here in 1986, I was on a flight to Frankfurt and she and my daughter Jackie were out in the garden, gardening and about two o'clock in the afternoon and Jackie looks up and she says, Hey mom, look, a UFO. And they look up and here's two of them at a very low altitude. Less than a quarter of a mile away, they were going. They, I live right near Nellis Air Force Base. They were coming from Nellis and went around to the southern part of Sunrise. Now that's an extremely rare sighting to this uh, in the day, in the daytime, uh, and it really it changed her opinion. Of course, she says, "Well, I saw him, but I still don't believe him." But but she did see him.
0: Well, maybe maybe that was the sighting that saved John Lear's marriage.
1: It definitely was.
0: Save my <laughs> I really can understand that, John. And uh, you know where I live out here, and you know what I'm close to. Yeah. And I see things uh, quite frequently, John, and I'm very hesitant uh, to talk about them. Um, frankly, I, I had one major sighting of an aircraft I told you about, or a craft. I don't right, know if it was an aircraft. Right. Uh, but I see other things, John, in the night sky a lot. And now there are those who say that activity up here has lessened or gone away or been moved. Can you tell me anything about that?
1: Well, there certainly hasn't been a good sighting in, in say, two years. And uh, so um, there's a facility in northern Nevada uh, where they do a lot of testing. Now, whether they do UFO testing, I don't know, but but there is a a major facility up, up there. There's also an increased activity down in Holloman, which seems to be just... Uh, the new secret aircraft we've got. But, uh, yeah, there definitely doesn't seem to be as much uh, testing as there used to be. Just after uh, Bob and I started talking about this, you used to be able to go up to the test site and and see all kinds of weird stuff, but there just, just aren't any sightings anymore.
0: I wonder if it is the attention that's been given up there, and there's been a lot of it. There's a lot of people hanging up there. Of course, they're trying to get more property now and isolate the area. Uh and uh, there's a kind of a government grab going on for property as you know John.
1: Yeah, and I just I don't really understand what the big deal is because like in 1980 there was at least 30 uh AAOs which are uh air access only areas in the United States at which you know all this weird stuff went on. Uh so you know Groom Lake is just one of a number of facilities uh, it
0: has been a pretty intense area though. They've been
1: a pretty intense area and uh, they are I'm sure they're going to get the land.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm sure and they and
1: I've too. heard that the testing has been serv- severely curtailed for the past year or so.
0: Until they can until yeah, too many cameras, too many people. On the um, uh, toll-free line, you're on the air with John Lear. Good morning. Where are you calling from, please? Oh,
11: just let me get my radio here.
0: All right, get your radio. Yeah,
14: I've got it. Um
0: Where well, are where are you, sir? KVI. KVI. We're holding this for East of the Rockies. Oh. Thank you uh, very much for the call and the try on the wild card line. You're on the air with John Lear. Hi. Hi, Art.
2: How are you?
0: Fine. Where are you? This
16: is Bryce in Wichita. All right. Hi, John. Glad to talk to you.
1: Hey, how are you doing? Good. It's been a long time since I've been in Wichita.
16: I bet it has. <laughs> um, I wondered, are you familiar with the writings of Rene Gunan or Fitzgerald Schoen?
1: No, what's what's that? Uh,
16: Religious writings concerning uh, uh, metaphysical uh, stuff. Um, uh, How about stuff like the Tibetan Book of the Dead? You said you go you go toward the dark light instead of the the light. Are you familiar with? Have you read that?
1: No, but that sounds that's an interesting thing—a dark light. I haven't heard that before.
16: Yeah, you gotta you gotta read the Tibetan Book of the Dead, and I would recommend people like you to get in touch with people like say the Dalai Lama. And and talk to them about this kind of stuff and see what they think.
2: Well, all right.
16: uh, People that are realized or or that have studied mystical or metaphysical stuff that are, you know, that are in that genre. All
0: right, thank thank you. Uh, John, you don't seem inclined uh, to really be pursuing this much more. In other words, uh, my assessment of you psychologically is that you have reached some kind of inner conclusion. And uh, stop me if I'm wrong, and uh, and and you're kind of settled about it now, is that right?
1: Settled or fatalistic?
0: <laughs> uh, all right, fatalistic.
1: Yeah, I uh, I never in my wildest dreams, when I started getting into this, had any uh, remotest hope of finding out as much as I did, and and when I found out as much as I did, it was just it was it was very interesting, and it was it was in one way extremely satisfying but i didn't think that i'd find out much more than i did so you know i continued on my life and like i say there's a lot of guys that that just keep plugging along and, i know and uh, but i think I, I found out pretty much what's going on and so i'm continuing
0: my life and fatalistic is the right word that, that's kind of ominous for a lot of us of course <laughs> <laughs> laugh all right uh, on the uh, east of the rockies line you're on the air with john lear hi yeah this This is Kevin from KCMO. KCMO, Kansas City, yes.
3: Yeah, um, I wanted to ask John a uh, question on the time travel deal. Um, I heard that you can only go so far far forward in time and so far backward in time. Is that true?
7: No, I think you can go both ways
1: as, as long as you want. And to the answer of the paradox, if you go back in time and kill your father, will you still be here? The answer is, Yes, you will still be here because time is compartmentalized. Okay. You can go back and kill your father, but
12: you'll still be here. Okay. That's all I wanted to know. I was curious about
0: that. Right. Thank you uh, very much. In other words, uh, you will affect the local... uh, All time is local. (laughs) Is that right?
1: That sounds like a good uh, analogy.
0: Yeah. All time is local. You will affect uh, the immediate sphere or time that you commit this act in, but somehow time will... Bend back in on itself, and everything will self correct and you'll still be there somehow, whatever all right uh, on the uh, east of the Rockies line, you're on the air. Good morning. Uh,
14: yes, sir. I was wondering if will we be able to get a tape of tonight's program?
0: Yes, ma'am. Where are you calling from?
14: Oklahoma City,
0: Oklahoma City. Uh, yes, indeed you will, and if you'll listen, I'll tell you how to do it, all right.
14: okay, I just wondered if you would
0: All Thank right, you so all much. right yeah, I'd be glad to do it. Uh, sure, if you want a tape of this program, The first two hours we spent on a very careful uh, chronicling of UFO history, John's involvement in it, and all the rest of it. You can get a tape uh, by calling right now, area code 503-664-7966. Let me give that again, area code 503-664-7966. And on the east of the Rockies line, you're on the air with John Lear. Hi.
17: Hi, how you doing?
0: Where are you, sir?
17: Uh, Erie, Pennsylvania.
0: Good. You're on the, the F-L-P. FLP? Yes, sir.
17: Okay. First of all, love it.
0: Glad. Outstanding. Gl- glad you're enjoying it.
17: Okay. Uh, for Mr. Lear, I have a couple questions. First of all, are you familiar with Guardian? Yes. You are? Guardian is legitimate?
1: Oh, I don't know.
7: Okay, you're uh, familiar I know with
1: Guardian. I know that he's a good researcher. Um, You know, I'm sure he's not faking all this, uh, Mm -hmm. but, you know, other than that, uh, yes, I am familiar with the case.
17: Okay. Uh, Second of all, well, I've been trying to get through all night. (laughs) I'm kind of nervous now.
0: Oh, well, relax. Just try to remember what you wanted to ask.
17: I'm trying. Uh, Second of all, without getting very in-depth at all about religion, Mm -hmm. uh, because I know that's a touchy subject. Uh, but do these civilizations uh, alleged civilization do they uh, purport to be um, religious the way we uh...
0: alright, that, that's a reasonable question sir. Uh, John do these beings themselves uh, have a, a religious faith that we are aware of?
1: Well in answer to your question, let me tell you what Whitley Stryber said about that when he was abducted, and he's he's uh, absolutely, horrendously terrified, and he's screaming, and he's saying, Oh God, oh God, help me, God, God, please help me. And the, the little greys are looking down, and they, very coolly they said, Why do you call for, their, uh, for your God? There's only us up here.
0: <laughs> uh, that that will certainly serve as a as an answer. No question about it. On the wild card line, you're on the air with John Lear. Good morning.
18: Good morning. Uh, Art, this is Jim in St. Louis.
0: St. Louis, yes, sir. Uh,
18: Mr. Lear, I want to thank you on behalf of everyone listening for coming on the show. It's thoroughly entertaining. Well, thank you. Um, you seem to be hitting everything right on. Um, for people that call up, they've read a book, or they're real religious. They obviously haven't been following some of the stuff covered on the show, the cover-up, the military involvement, politics, everything. Um, um, uh, you seem to be right on. I respect the fact that you don't want to go into the religion uh, aspect because I've uh, I've read a little bit. I think of uh, what you uh, what you outlined there in uh, a couple of different a uh, couple of different books. But um, again, the astronauts, the whole thing of keeping quiet, people can't understand. Why the mill? Why aren't they talking about this? Um, and that this stuff really is happening. Um, I'm uh, getting announcements on our uh, station here in KSD that say this is a warning. This is not the views of this, this station. That's, uh, it is shocking. It's very shocking. A lot of this is, except my religious beliefs are simply I believe above all else, above anything else, that there is a that there is the God, God, the creator of all things, and why can these things be happening? God, God takes care of other elements of nature in, in accordance with the plan. Why can this not be somewhat along uh, an overall plan? In the
0: plan, yeah. in other words, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right, sir. Hold on. Listen to the answer. Uh, go ahead, John. What's the question? Well, the question was really, he walked around at six ways from Sunday, but he's asking why can't uh there be the god we all know and not we all know but many of us think is there uh who's in control and who's just well let me tell you I'm, what... I'm not properly asking in other words let... why why do god and uh and and ufo's and the aliens have to be mutually exclusive
1: uh they don't but let me tell you a story that that, that bob uh lazar told me once we're talking about uh, the universe and, and the ramifications of it all. And and he's telling you about the theory that the universe expands until it can't go uh, any further, and then it starts contracting. Mm-hmm. And time reverses, and everything comes down to its original uh, size, less than a, an atom size, and then starts spreading out the other direction, whereas things only exist that travel faster than speed of light. And uh, so we came to the conclusion uh, Now, whoever made that, that's God
0: Whoever made that, that's God Um, Okay, well I hope that serves as an answer to his question You're on the air coast-to-coast AM with John Lear Where are you calling from, please?
3: Calling from Youngstown, Ohio
0: Youngstown, yes sir
3: Um, I have a copy of a videotape by uh, Bob Lazar Um, I was wondering if Mr. Lear was familiar with it
0: Oh, he sure is
3: um, and uh, I was wondering if he could uh, give us some comments about the other two areas of S-4 that uh, Mr. Lazar talks about, about uh, the uh, physics of time travel and uh, the charged particle beams.
0: All right, we've only got about a minute, John. Can you do it?
3: Uh, I'm
1: not sure whether the areas that he's talking about. Yes, that uh, uh, they had both of those things there. Uh, once, you know, I, I told you the stories where Uh, The hangar door was open. Uh, He walked into the craft uh, to do some work, and he was in there about two hours. And when he came out, uh, it it was exactly the same same time as before he went in. And when he asked what the explanation was that, they they said, uh, because the saucer's time shifted.
0: All right. uh, We'll have to hold it there uh, from Youngstown, Ohio. Thank you, John. We'll be right back to you. Okay. All right. Relax for a few minutes. You're listening to Coast to Coast AM on the CBC Radio Network. If this kind of information disturbs you, and it does many, reach over and turn your radio off. For everybody else, there will be more.
4: In the Kingdom of Nye, toll-free at one 800 618 8255 one 800 618 talk First-time callers: 702-727-1222, 702-727-1222, or use the wildcard line at 702-727-1295. This is Coast to Coast AM on the CBC Radio Network. It, it, it certainly
0: is, and uh, for the next 30 minutes, 30 minutes more, we're still going to restrict the toll-free line to uh, east of the Rockies. We're going to give it another 30 minutes because of the length of the uh, pre-interview before we got to the phone call. So 30 more minutes east of the Rockies on the 800 line. All right. John Lear is my guest, pilot, experienced pilot, many thousands and thousands of hours in the air, and believer in IFOs, identified flying objects. John's coming back right now. John, uh, there is a way people can get the videotape that the caller mentioned about uh, Bob Lazar's uh, experiences and uh, his explanation of what these craft are and how they work. It is very educational. How do they get it?
1: The uh, right to TriDot Corporation. Now, write the address down because there is no telephone number. If you call Las Vegas and ask for information, there is no telephone number it's TRIDOT, T-R-I-D-O-T, TRIDOT Corporation, 1324 Southeastern, and that's in Las Vegas, Nevada, 89104, and it's twenty nine ninety five. That's $29.95 plus $3 shipping and handling. And what you get is a 40-minute tape. It's called the Lazar Tape and Excerpts of the Government got Bible, which is a chronological account of government UFO activity details and Bob's experience working with recovered flying saucers for the Department of Naval Intelligence. It explains the propulsion, construction, and details of where the aliens are from, including what Doctor Keller has to say about Bob Lazar.
0: All right, good. That's how to get it, everybody. And uh, we'll repeat that address down line here somewhere on our toll-free line. You're on the air with John Lear. Where are you calling from, please? Message. Memphis, Tennessee. All right. Mm-hmm. Yes,
15: uh, Mr. Lee, it's a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. Uh, on discussion of um, uh, after-death experiences, uh, would you please reconsider and go toward the bright light, the white light, not the dark? Sure. There's another body of work known as the um, Egyptian Book of the Dead, other than the Tibetan, and please research that.
1: Yeah, they. Uh, I'd like to say something. Uh Uh, about the Bible, one of the most important books in the history of mankind. Uh, The New Testament, like much of the Old Testament, is in many places a greatly altered version of the original accounts on which it is based. Mm -hmm. In addition, probably less than 5% of all that Jesus and his original followers taught is found in the Bible. Many of these changes and deletions to the New Testament were made by special church councils. The editing process began as early as 325 A.D., during the first council of nicaea and continued well into the 12th century for example the second synod church council of constantinople in 553 ad deleted from the bible jesus's references to reincarnation an I know, important I concept.
3: yeah
15: uh, i just wanted to be sure that i got that on, that about the, the bright light not the dark <laughs> light
0: all right thanks john why uh, why why the dark light
1: um uh, uh, why going there? Yeah well, because uh, according to Whitley, uh, if you go to the uh, the bright light, uh, they ha- you have made a conscious choice of which direction to go. and supposedly, according to him, uh, at that point if you go to the white light, uh, the the grays or whoever's in charge of this thing can decide what to do with you. now they can either send you back into another body or they can put you in the black box now, the reason that I wouldn't cho- choose the white light is I don't want to spend what Whitley says is anywhere from 12 to, to 40,000 years in the black box. He was in there and he said it's a very frightening experience. Now, I don't mind being by myself. I could probably spend a couple of years by myself, but I'm not sure whether I could spend 40,000 years. Mm. Whereas if you go towards the dark, you come right back into mm. a terrestrial body and you can. Continue on with whatever body you
0: got into. All right. Um, Dear John and Art, this comes from Santa Barbara. Do you think there are any off planet guys who are trying to help rescue us from this prison? Any hope for the future? Annie, Santa Barbara. Possibly. Possibly. All right. Tantalizingly, just possible. Uh, also, uh, this question, John the Philadelphia experiment. Uh, do you believe it really happened? Uh, is there any connection between it and the UFOs? Uh,
1: yes, obviously something happened during the Philadelphia experiment. Now, whether that boat actually disappeared or not, I don't know. But there's enough evidence that something very, very strange happened during that time uh, 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 due to the government's research into uh, magnetism.
0: All right, and one more facts. This is from Lawrenceville, Georgia. Uh, Jimmy Carter had seen a UFO. He was given a top-secret clearance. Thus, he was shut down when he became president. Yes,
1: yes he, does. he filed his report in 1969 as when he ran for president. One of his uh, platforms was, uh, I believe in UFOs because I personally see one, and if I am elected president, I will see that all information about UFOs is turned over to the public. Uh, naturally, when he became president, we didn't hear one word, and that's because the presidents are briefed to a certain extent on
3: the problem.
0: All right. Um, on our toll-free line, you're on the air with John Lear. Good morning. Yes. Uh, Where are you, sir?
3: Yes, I'm in uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina.
0: Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Okay.
3: Yeah. Go ahead. I was listening to uh, your comment about Delta. Delta forces, yes. Yes. Um, I believe some things you say, but...
17: I think you might have your uh, units wrong. Okay. What? How did I have wrong? Uh,
19: for one thing I don't think if sixty-six people were killed from Delta. How yeah. many people? I don't believe
9: anyone was killed from
1: Delta. Oh, okay. Um. But um, uh, but there would have been. It would. It was a different group. Uh, yeah, I would say so.
0: What would you say it is, caller? What What group was it?
9: Uh, that I don't know, but to come out of the Delta community,
3: um, it would just be noticed right here in Fort Bragg. That's too many people. Now, he's he's uh, he may be partially right because
1: uh, uh, he, he obviously uh, was in the community, but there are certain parts of Delta which are unknown to other parts. So uh, it's possible that you're correct. Uh, and that it was just a secret, very secret portion of Delta Force.
0: All right. Uh, thank you, caller. Uh, John, uh, from uh, the state of Washington, uh, is there any possibility that some of these aliens could come from beneath the Earth instead of from outer space?
1: Yes, most definitely.
0: Really? Oh, yeah. Do you give much credence to the, um, uh, the dimensional theories, John?
1: Well, I didn't use but there seems to be a body of evidence now that, that there is a uh, some kind of uh, extra-dimensional creatures appearing here and there.
0: All right. You're on the air coast-to-coast Coast AM with John Lear. Good morning. Where are you, please?
12: I can't say, Missouri. Yes, sir. I just got a question. Has uh, Mr. Lear ever read anything? The the, the uh, Betty Andreessen story and her beliefs
8: It kind of pertains to the religious aspect?
1: Yes, I read uh, both books, and... Uh, uh, you know, what more can I say? There's, uh, she definitely is, is very religious, and she had a very religious experience, uh, during her abduction. Uh, I think that the, uh, whoever they are who pick us up catered to those specific beliefs.
7: Oh, yeah, that
12: was basically my question. I didn't know if your beliefs followed along those lines because they were sort of similar to the lights and, the putting people back in the bodies and that sort of thing. And I was just curious if uh, if you knew about that and if uh, you had any thoughts on it.
1: Well, it's been some time since I read the Addression affair, but uh, uh, she did have a very uh, interesting
12: experience. Right. Yeah, I read the, I read the newest one, the it's called Watchers by uh, Ray Fowler, and it was uh, pretty interesting. I'd recommend it to anybody out there.
0: We're going to be interviewing Ray Fowler again pretty soon on Dreamland, incidentally. Coler. Oh, that,
12: that, that'd that be really great.
0: All right, thank you. We've had him before, and I was neglectful. Let me do this now. We have a new affiliate uh, beginning uh, this morning. It is KKARAM in Omaha, Nebraska. So I would like to officially welcome Omaha, Nebraska to the network. And uh, let's keep moving here on the wild card line. You're on the air with John Lear. Good morning.
20: Yeah, good morning, Art. Bob in Vegas. Hello. Hello.
0: Yes, go ahead.
20: And uh, in 1952, I read a book by a man named Gurdjieff called All and Everything. And there he talked about the spaceship Karna going all over the place. And I went to Europe to work with the Gurdjieff Group. But in '55 we went on the air with commercial television in London. And uh, we had a, a couple there, and I can't remember their name. But uh, we had a half-hour show, and the man who was interviewing them was really trying to break them down that they were phonies, which he couldn't, of course. After that, I invited them home, we went to dinner, went to my place, and we talked about Gurdjieff and his book, and um, these people were very authentic, and I do remember the name. They were a married couple, and we went to a few of the group meetings in London then. This was back in 1955, 56 and these were all what I call good, wholesome people, not phony, baloney type people, and of course, I lost touch with them then, but I wonder if he's familiar, Johnny you familiar with Gurdjieff's book, All and Everything? So he talks uh, about Karnak, the good uh, ship I'm not catching the last name. What, what, Gurjev, man named Gurjev. He has groups that are working.
0: Say the name slowly, Bob.
20: Gurjev, G-U-R-D-J-I-E-F-F, George Ivanovich Gurjev. And he wrote the book way back in the 40s called All and Everything. And as I said, then subsequently when I was with this couple in London, and I don't remember their name, but I remember going to several groups, and this was back in the 50s, I vaguely remember that book, but I don't know enough about it to make any comment on it. Right. But he, he talked way back then about uh, spaceships. Yeah.
0: And, All, right. Uh, All right. All right, Bob. Thank you very much uh, for the call. Uh, we appreciate it. I guess not not enough knowledge to uh, really be commenting about it. You're on the air coast-to-coast AM with John Lear. Good morning. Where are you calling from, please?
10: Uh th- from KSD
17: in St. Louis. Yes, sir. How are you doing? Uh, I want to know if you could uh, tell me anything more about the alien picture, and could you tell Mr. Lear about that experience you did, that you had? And uh, could you possibly tell me the internet number and how I could get that off the internet when you
10: finally do send that up?
0: All right. Um, I will. Thank you. Uh, yeah, he's right. John, I have a young man who has. What he believes is an alien creature, the body of an alien creature, which is now dried. It's pretty good size. It's very hard to describe, John. Uh, I've got very good 35-millimeter photographs of it, and I've got a videotape of it as well. I'm getting them scanned and put up on on the Internet uh, probably by the middle of next week. The thing looks, uh, the closest I can come, John, is it almost looks bat-like, but it's not a bat. pretty good size. It's uh, a couple of feet tall, uh, two or three feet tall, and um, it is very, very weird. Now, without seeing it, it would be impossible for you to comment, but it uh, supposedly came from Puerto Rico, where there's been quite a quite a bit of UFO activity, hasn't there? Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I will show you that uh, photograph um, uh, when I get a chance, John, and, and then you'll be able to comment. As- yeah, interesting. Yeah, okay. It's just something I'm working on right now. On the uh, toll-free line, you're on the air with John Lear. Where are you calling from, please?
1: This is John from
9: Kansas City, Missouri. How you doing? Hi, John. Well, um, basically, um, what I was calling about is just to throw out another theory here, if these things do happen, um, is essentially, you know, like, um, first off, I don't really buy that. Some alien creatures are really buying... Um, using people as food because the simple fact it would be easier to kidnap a group of people to uh, then breed them for, as cattle. Would it not?
2: Uh-huh. Well, what about... Uh,
9: Aren't are we being bred as cattle? <laughs> Who knows? Maybe we are. <laughs> well, anyways, um, some of the other things, like you said, like when they um, encountered them in Cambodia um, and, they ha- and the um, special forces had firefight with them. It would be a very good place to collect um, human bodies to um, study the anatomy
2: Mm.
15: because
9: you wouldn't have to worry about taking them and then probably bringing them back and things like that.
0: That's a good point.
9: Yeah. And um, truthfully, um, why are they so interested in this place? I mean, truthfully, we're in the neck of the woods, so to speak, in our galaxy, and what is so interesting for it?
0: All right. Why why us is the question, John. Why what? Why us? Why are they interested in us? I, I could almost answer that. I mean, when you look at the Earth, it's a hustle and bustle of activity and growth and beings and intelligence, and it's a contrast to everything around it, right?
1: Yeah, well, you know, my opinion is is it's not that they're, uh, they came here looking down and say, oh, yeah, that's a neat place, let's go down and visit. I think they created the whole thing, and that's their interest.
0: Hmm. So uh, they have an intense interest in following their handiwork.
1: Yeah, their handiwork being, uh, the, the, the breeding of the human race over 200,000 years in which they made 65 separate corrections to make us what we are today, which is, which they refer to as containers. Uh, you know, I doubt if the, uh, the experiment is over. I think that, uh, you know, it's continuing on. Uh, each of these separate corrections, they have to, uh, you know, when they bring in the new model, they have to recall the old model. Uh, and they do that with you know, mass plagues, uh, uh, floods, uh, gyroscopic precessions of the Earth, uh, which I might mention, all this EPA and BLM and stuff about you know, carefully burying our trash. You know, every 23,000 years, this Earth rotates on its axis and takes up a different rotation and it essentially cleans everything out. So why are we so worried we're about... You know, a thousand years overdue for this rotation. So why are we worried about all this uh, this trash?
0: You're talking about a polar reverse.
1: Yeah, I just a little oh, bit I little irritated because it used to take me seven minutes to drive to the dump, but now it takes three hours.
0: <laughs> Time for the big cleaning. cleaning it's it's you know. all
1: going to be done for us. We don't have to worry about that.
0: Uh, all right, on the uh, toll-free line, you're on the air with John Lear. Good morning. Where are you calling from?
19: calling from Bakersfield, Art.
0: All right. We're holding this for East of the Rockies, sir, okay. for about five more minutes. Uh, thank you very much for the call, though. On the wild card line, you're on the air with John Lear. Good morning.
14: Good morning. Wonderful show. Sunshine here. I think that was Betty and Barney Hill, wasn't it?
1: No, he said 1955.
14: Oh, I didn't know what when their book came out, Betty and Barney Hill. The- it was
1: after 63.
14: Oh, I see. Okay, my mistake. But anyway, they did allude to the time travel, too, or the time uh, span, too, I believe, didn't they? I mean, they were in there for some time, and yet when they came out, it it was lost to them.
1: Yeah, they had that
0: same experience.
14: Yeah, wonderful show. Thanks for having it.
0: All right, thanks for uh, making the call, and good morning. On the toll free line, you're on the air with John Lear. Hello. That was it, I guess, John. Uh, on the first-time caller line, you're on the air with John Lear. Hello.
12: Yes, uh, I'm calling from uh, Al- near Albuquerque. Yes, sir. Actually, in uh, um, east of the mountains, about 500 feet from the Manzano test range, Uh huh. Sandia Base. Um, I had a sighting here about two years ago in May. Uh Since then, I've talked to three of my neighbors who have had similar sightings, a retired school teacher and uh, a real estate agent.
0: You're not having some of that famous New Mexico Taos hum right now, are you?
12: No, I do hear strange noises once in a while, and they sound like a diesel truck in the distance or um, uh, machinery clanging around, but some of it I think I'm hearing uh, construction going on on the base.
1: Now, was your uh, sightings uh, within the uh, Manzano Weapon Storage Area,
12: Coyote Canyon? Well, I was driving. I was on the highway driving home, and this was a large orange glowing sphere that went over my car, and it was heading due south into that area. Yeah,
1: well, there's been a lot of reports. As a matter of fact, uh, when I first got into this, uh, Paul Benowitz had just lived in the uh, in the. Uh, Four Hills section there, Mm -hmm. and he set up in 1980 a videotape which ran 24 hours a day. He changed it every eight hours, and he got some spectacular photos of dome-shaped objects taking off from the Montana Weapon Storage
12: Area. Well, I sometimes wonder if you know if they're saying that there's less action going on up in Nevada. Maybe some of it's moved here. Well, it could be either there or Holloman. I've also got uh, two acquaintances. Uh, they don't know each other, but they have told me that they were involved. One worked for the contractor, and the other uh, worked for somebody in the architectural design firm that built all these underground bunkers back in the early 80s out there. And they said that these these bunkers were as big as football fields, uh, solid concrete. They were huge, and of course, nobody knew what they were being built for.
1: Yeah, uh, I had and a friend no,
12: no runways.
1: Yeah, I had a friend that. Uh that went in one of those things. And he says that there was nothing in there, but he said it was absolutely enormous.
0: Yeah,
12: and uh, But there was nothing in there at the time he went in. Well, that's
0: All right, caller, thanks.
12: Well, can I ask one more question?
0: Yeah, very quickly. Yeah, do,
12: you, do you think that anything will come of this Roswell investigation?
0: All right, and yes, Representative Schiff, of course, is often running on the investigation, as you know, John. Yeah. Uh, do you think anything will come of it? No, zero. Zero? Zero? Why do you think that?
1: Well, because it's it's a cover-up. They're not going to let some congressman go in there and and, uh, and find out what's
0: going on. Yeah, I suppose at the levels all this uh, moves, a congressperson is not much. All right, John, uh, I'd like you to hold on. We've got a break here at the bottom of the hour, so relax for a few minutes. We'll be back to you. Okay. My guest is John Lear, um, pilot, uh, airline captain and Believer and IFOs, Identified Flying Objects. That's the nature of the discussion this morning. It may disturb you. If it does, turn it off. If you want a copy of the entire program, you can call, beginning right now, area code 503-664-7966.
4: This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell on the CBC Radio Network. Now, once again, here's Art.
0: Once again, here I am, and I want to repeat, we spent the first two hours of the program, if you didn't get it, doing a uh, uh, pretty thorough uh, examination of the history of UFOs and the beginning of John's involvement. And if you want a copy of this program, the way to get it, get your pencil, please, is to call area code 503-664-7966. 503 Now, uh, once again, uh, back to John Lear. John, are you there? Lots of people want to talk to you, so back to the phones. On the toll-free line, you're on the air with John Lear. Good morning. Where are you, please?
14: I'm in Las Vegas.
0: Las Vegas. All right. Thank you. KDWN, go right ahead. Hello? Turn your radio off, ma'am.
14: It's off.
0: All right. Go ahead.
14: Uh, Mr. Lear? Yes? Uh, A few callers back, a lady called asking you about the Bible, and you told her something uh, that Jesus said about reincarnation what did he say about that
1: he believed in it and uh, he tried to tell us that it was true but it was taken out of the Bible by these uh, uh, council of churches
14: he did believe in it
1: yes absolutely
14: absolutely really really uh, uh, however it was taken out
1: yeah sure was long How long could long.
14: if I told that to somebody how could I prove it
1: uh you could uh get the um uh bill bramley's book uh the gods of eden i think he discusses it in there uh
14: what's the name of the book uh
1: the gods of eden
14: the gods of eden
1: right right he goes into it at great length uh, and, uh, and
14: uh and what is that author's name again
1: bramley b-r a-m l e y i think
14: can I get that in a bookstore? I wonder.
1: Uh, I think you can order it in a bookstore. Yeah.
14: Uh-huh. Well, thank you very
3: much.
0: All right, thank you very much for the call, ma'am. Have a uh, have a good morning. On the uh, wild card line, you're on the air with John Lear. Hi.
3: Radio Free America. Yes. Yes,
10: Mister Lear. Uh, I believe uh, in the Bible, and uh, I'd like to uh, talk to you about the nephilim, and how that could correlate into uh, these things that uh, you and Art have been describing, and also the fact that Linda Howe reported on these cattle mutilations, uh, that the uh, maggots on flies wouldn't touch the carcasses
2: that's right.
10: <clears throat> for days. Now yeah. that's something that seems a bit unnatural to me, and I'd like to ask you, uh, throughout the Bible there is a conflict of good and evil, and uh, these things that... Uh, you guys are describing do not sound uh, very good to me.
0: Yeah, not not warm and fuzzy, John.
10: That's correct. That they they,
1: they would not be my idea of warm and fuzzy.
0: John, why do you think uh, so many people, so many ufologists and people uh, in in the various associated fields, uh, want to present them always as warm and fuzzy? Why why?
1: I think that because we couldn't imagine. A advanced society not being warm, we figure, well, shoot, you know, after all that, uh, uh, civilization thousands of years ahead of us, they certainly must have worked out their problems and just want to come down and help us and cure cancer and AIDS and, and help us get to, you know, cure our food problem and, uh, all the rest of it. I mean, all right. certainly, uh, certainly reinforced by Steven Spielberg and his, uh, both encounters
0: yeah, it is true. Uh, John, a few quick ones for you by Fax uh, from Alaska. A quick su- a question for John, a paraphrase. The sheep know the voice of their master. Will we know?
1: Uh, I don't know enough about that. I know that's a quote, but I just can't put it together in time to, to give a decent
0: answer. Well, I, I, can, I can wonder, though, uh, or I can, I guess uh... try and help them out here the sheep us know the voice of their master will we know when that voice comes that it is that they are our master i guess is the question Yeah. no. no comment no comment all right if it's not too late in the show could you ask john about my guess concerning cattle mutilations remember I guessed the mutilations were to garner the components of a medium used to proliferate recombinant DNA research.
1: Well, I think, yeah, that's, that's speculation what it's all about.
0: Dear John, since 1988, uh, that year to the present, around round balls of light have been hovering above my house day and night. This is not a hoax. I've been videotaping these round balls of light during the night hours hovering above my house with only a, within only a half block at the very most. Since 1989, I've been videotaping them, and I've got these videotapes. What would you suggest somebody with evidence of this sort does?
1: There's not much you can do. Who's going to listen to you? Uh, I, I know a few people that, that have that phenomenon over there, and, and I don't know what they are, but... Uh...
0: But they are.
1: But they are. They certainly are.
0: Is John implying that the God of our Bible was created by aliens?
1: No, no, no. You're not going to get me into that
0: now. Okay. Uh, We'll just drop that one and go back to the phones. On the wild card line, you're on the air with John Lear. Hi. Hello. Hello? Yes, sir.
3: Yeah, this is Art in Spokane. Hello, Art. And I wanted to ask uh, John uh, what he thought of the possibility that the... Uh, deaths at Dulce were somehow related to the introduction or the further introduction of the AIDS virus into the uh, population and also what his feelings are about the government being somehow involved in the development of the AIDS virus.
0: Alright, thank you. Uh, John, Your yeah, AIDS. Um, what do you think
7: about AIDS?
1: Well, as I said before, there's no question in my mind that the government uh, developed it. Um, uh, The specific doctor, the Navy doctor that that actually did the research, I I believe his name was R.M. Donner, and um, yeah, we we made it. What it was for, I don't I don't I don't know. Some people say it was to uh, eliminate or decrease the population, but certainly there ought to be better ways to do it because Mm -hmm. AIDS takes a long time uh, to affect, and also it, it causes a lot of suffering. I think our hospitals would be overtaxed uh, before it would start reducing the population. So when people say, well, it's just the government uh, trying to reduce the population, possibly, but you think even they would be able to figure out a quicker way to do it.
0: Well, I know that there was congressional testimony. It's on the record, John, Uh, an inquiry of some scientists about whether such a thing could be created that would uh, produce or suppress the human uh, immune system.
1: Yeah, I've got a copy of that, and that's yeah. where they, re- they got their initial $10 million funding to uh, to create that.
0: So that much is at least on the record. All right, uh, on the toll-free line, you're on the air with John Lear. Good morning.
1: Good morning, how are you?
0: Fine, sir. Where are you?
18: I'm uh, KOGO, San Diego. Excellent. John, uh, I had a, some questions about... Uh, one of the guests you had on earlier um, wrote the Montauk books.
0: Yeah. Oh, Preston yes. Nichols. Preston Nichols. I had him on the program, yes.
18: Right. And I wondered if uh, your guest could make any references to some of the things he said in his books, like the alien
1: treaties or um, things like that. All I right. I pile follow the Montauk uh, books too closely. Uh, I did listen to Preston Nichols uh, several times. Uh, All I can say is specifically, yes, there is an alien treaty. Uh, But other than that, unless you have a more specific question.
0: No, I guess he just wanted a general reference, whether you were uh, familiar with it, whether you agreed with it.
1: Yeah, we certainly do have a treaty.
0: All right. uh, One more stab at this, John. This comes from uh, Veronica in Wichita. I'm a Christian but not so arrogant a Christian to believe that we are the only form of life God created as the Bible says in my father's house there are many mansions were it uh were it not so wouldn't he have told us
1: well somebody had to create everybody right
0: somebody did it some entity some something did it uh, I think most of us most of us believe that a power far greater than ourselves uh, uh... had something to do with this it's just uh, too complex all right on the toll-free line you're on the air with john lear good morning
10: okay hi good morning uh, i'd like to say that just out of common sense and it's one entity and stuff like that uh, there, there probably is even if there is one entity i'm not saying there probably is but even if there is and i go through life and have to go see him on Judgment Day. I'm going to appeal to a higher court because he's got peers. I mean, it would have to be that. But anyway, uh, on this time travel. Yes. Okay. Time travel. Uh, the way the way you're looking at it, I think time travel uh, back in the past. There's no way you can see time from back in the past, but you'll never you'll never be able to travel it. You only see the light from it. And as far as in the future. That you might be able to do that too, but you'll never be able to come back to your own time. Just on, uh, you know. All right, Juan,
0: uh, Juan, what are you basing these comments
10: Well, it's just like, uh, okay, let's say uh, the extraterrestrials. Okay, uh, you'd be a fool not to think that we're the only ones in the in the universe. Well, wait a
0: minute, you are switching topics. On no, what, is, uh, I'm
10: going to explain that all right, by this. All right. Okay, it's like planets and other galaxies, we can look at them right now. And what we're looking at isn't, what, you know, isn't right now. It's t- it's time from way back when. We're that, that's light true. From way back when. That's true. So there may be inhabitants on in what we're seeing, and we just, you know, the only way we're ever going to know is to be able to travel faster than the speed of light. That's which, the only way we'll ever know.
1: Which certainly can be done and very easily if you have the technology. But I'll have to disagree with you on time
10: travel. It, uh, you can certainly go forward in time, and you can come back. Well, I'm sure you can go forward, but I doubt, uh, doubt very seriously, you'll be able to come back. Yeah. Well. Okay. Well, we disagree on that. It's just on common sense, though. I mean, I don't, I don't understand how you think you can come back to a time that you, you can go forward, unless you're talking about this gravitational thing where you hold off and you, you're just, you're thinking you go in and forward in time and you're, you, you're never leaving the time that you're, let you know you, you're time stand still while
0: you're gone where are you calling from please Everett Washington Everett Uh, alright John
1: when I get my time machine I'll come and pick you
0: up Uh, do you think John in your life that you will do that no you do not no why why is that such a quick no I mean if you had a chance an opportunity uh, with Bob Lazar and others and lots of funding would you endeavor to do it
12: no I
1: think well with lots of funding. No, there's very complex uh, machinery. I I don't think it can be done. I'm 52.
19: uh,
1: I'm going to retire here at 60, and I hope to have, you know, maybe a couple of years of tending my lawn, but certainly there's nothing I want to go back and see or go forward. It's an interesting concept. It certainly can't be
3: done.
0: All right. On the toll-free line, you're on the air with John Lear. Good morning.
3: Morning, Art. Uh, Cliff in uh, Glendale, Arizona, KFYI. Yes, sir. Uh, I was wondering if... uh, John might have uh, privileged information that uh might uh, give us a clue to our future have uh, Have we been told anything that might uh might tell us where we're headed?
2: Oh, no, I... I will
3: tell you this
1: that in my brief career as a ufologist, I've made several predictions, two or three of them, and they've all turned out false so I may be a good researcher, but I'm a terrible prophet <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> all right, John.
0: All right, thank you very much from uh, Arizona and, of course, KFYI. On the wild card line, you're on the air with John Lear. Hi.
6: Hi. Yes, sir. Hi. Uh, John? Yeah. Oh, this is fantastic. Uh, John, I'm an old uh, fighter pilot from uh, Korea, and we used to fly the old F-86s. Yeah, my favorite one, D's. D-mile. Okay. Uh, uh, They were Pratt Whitney and, uh, and, uh, we do the Rolls Royce engine. Yeah. And the only time I ever got involved with your, your company was when I bought my own jet and it was a, a Lear jet. Anyway, we had a flame out at about 35,000 feet one time coming over to Kansas City. No, I think it was Cincinnati. And they came, uh, my pilot came back and, uh, we get up there and we said we had to bring it down to 25,000 feet. And we kicked her up again and, uh, she flew like a real trooper. Yeah, interesting. Oh, interesting as hell. Yeah. Anyway, the the, the reason I wanted to call and uh, get my I'm uh, I'm calling from San Diego, the home of the Tailhook uh, Maniacs. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. We're all a bunch of uh, cowboys out here, but uh, some of us uh, are really curious about things. And do uh, uh, you know about uh, Thorn? Rip Thorn? No. Which one is that? Well, he's a physicist, a cosmologist out here. And uh we were wondering about what the heck is going on. Uh, we built the uh we we're involved in the accelerator up there at uh at Stanford. Yeah. Yeah. And uh we took a whack at things and uh
1: oh uh, my god I got a million things to tell you. Well you're right in the middle of the action down there in San Diego because that's where the Navy has a lot of their uh operations and I could tell you uh, some real weird stories about stuff that goes on down there but but you are right in the center of operations I doubt if you could ever penetrate it but if you could you'd see a lot of real interesting stuff
6: well uh here's what we got we're looking at uh, uh times 10 to the minus 33rd, and we're looking at instead of uh, black holes we're looking at wormholes yeah and this is a concept that Thorne has uh, been preaching for about ten years, and I, of course, I think he's a wacko. And it's a uh, viable concept. Uh, a wormhole, and uh, you know that we've got a
1: black hole uh, in our vicinity. In well, this, supposedly every galaxy has its own black hole, and as yeah. far as wormholes, I don't think that's how it works, but but go ahead.
6: Well, it, it has to do with the space-time continuum, and, uh, I listen to Thorn. Of course, Thorn's an old, uh, an old, uh, an old buddy of mine. And uh, at first, it's uh, inconceivable. If you look at the uh, space-time continuum, it is a viable concept.
1: Yeah, I think that what he, what he's trying to do is figure out how they can get from place to place uh, without violating the uh, the speed of light. And and they, and because they don't have access to the real information of how it works. They invent stuff like wormholes, but the way it works is called the instantaneous propagation of gravity. Science doesn't know it yet, but gravity is instantaneous and there's two forms of it, A and B. And basically to travel hundreds of times faster than the speed of light, what you do is generate a very powerful beam of gravity and pull space towards you. Space is actually a fabric. It can, it can be pulled this way and that. We think of it as a nothing. We think it is as something that has just one hydrogen atom per square meter. In so a that,
0: se- John, in a sense, then, you're not really traveling through the space to get from A to B. No. You, are, you are jumping across an area.
1: Correct. You are pulling space towards you and coalescing or uniting with space that's maybe hundreds of light years away. But that's why they invent wormholes, because they're trying, they know that it can be done... They're just trying to figure out a way that it, that it can be done.
0: I think I know the concept of a black hole. What's the difference between a black hole and a wormhole, John?
1: Well, a black hole is just a very intense uh, uh, a collapsed star, with, which is not letting any light. It is so dense that it doesn't let uh, light go uh, through it. Wormhole is a completely different thing. Wormhole is what they're uh, speculating is how to get from uh, point A to point B uh, very fast without violating the uh, the principle of the speed of light.
0: Do you believe it can be violated, and I don't mean by the method you just described, but I mean uh, in actual s- speed travel? No,
1: I don't think you can go faster than speed of light in a
21: linear direction. You have to do
1: it some other way.
0: All right. On the uh, toll-free line, you're on the air with John Lear. Good morning.
21: Oh, good morning. All right. Good morning, John. You know, listening to you today, I'm Susan from Moscow Mail's. And, um,
0: Moscow, Mills, where? I don't Missouri. Missouri, all right. KSD, yes. Yes.
21: Um, you know, in the fear that some people have of what John is talking about, they must understand that whatever experience that we have as humans or humanoids or whatever is a very good experience. And obviously, whoever and whatever has created us and whatever use that we have for them, we have use for ourselves too. And if there's such i mean there's so much love and joy in life opposed to the diversity, which there's plenty of that too but the the mind has to the mind that was given to us and the spirituality that we have um needs to be used and I think that's what he's talking about when he says, "Go on and live your life, even though you have more information that's right you get to do what you want you get to make your life and have fun and and uh, do whatever you want right can Can you tell me if there's um in in the other dimensions of what you're talking about in the, the 70 or so groups, do they show any sign of their own spirituality? I'm not talking about religion here at all, but of a of a separate spirituality or more intense spirituality or just different? or. No, I don't have an answer to that. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, thanks a lot. Thanks, thank, thank
0: you very much for the call, and it'll have to be fast, but uh, we'll do one more here. On the wild card line, you're on the air. Hello. Oh,
9: hello. Um, I was wondering uh, if Mr. Uh, Lear has ever read uh, people such as Charles Ford and H.P. Lovecraft and people like that. I'm sorry, what's the name? Charles Ford.
15: He, um...
0: S- Charles Ford and Lovecraft?
15: Yeah. No. Oh, oh what Charles Ford?
9: Charles Ford, yeah.
1: Um, yeah, he... I've read uh, a lot of his stuff.
9: Yeah, that's that's what I meant. Um, it seems that when you talked about, I one thing that I'd like you to uh, expand upon a little bit is when you referred to that that, that somehow uh, humans were considered to be containers,
0: vessels. Even I've heard that word. Uh, where where are you calling from, ma'am?
9: I'm in
1: San Francisco.
0: San Francisco. All right, uh, John. You've said it before. Vessels, containers uh, for the soul.
1: Well, it, it, we're speculating for the soul. It wasn't it, it wasn't described in the documents that Bob read. Exactly what we were containers of. We could be containers of hormones, enzymes, or whatever. My own speculation is that we are containers of soul.
0: Well, it's the. Uh, I guess it's 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 a good one, and uh, I hope I hope we do contain souls. You, you can
1: never destroy the soul; it goes on forever and ever and ever. And uh, some people uh, are able to recall uh, past. Experiences, but most people are not. You're not supposed to be able to uh, to recall. But in fact, the soul goes on forever.
0: All right. Uh, on that note, uh, vessels, all of you, uh, containers, we are going to have to pause for uh, mortal news at the top of the hour. We'll be back with John Lear and more from the CBC Radio Network.
4: Kingdom of Nye. You're hearing Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Much more than just a talk show. To participate in the program, call toll-free 1-800-618-8255. That's 1-800-618-8255. This is the CBC Radio Network.
0: It certainly is, and I thought a bit of the Dreamland theme might be appropriate. We do that show Sunday evening, 7 to 10. Topics... Always, just like this. One of these days, we're going to snag John for Dreamland as well. John Lear is my guest, pilot, uh, IFO investigator in sort of semi-retirement now. Back to him in a moment. All right, uh, John Lear is my guest. Back now to John and your questions. Johnny, you there. Yeah,
2: right here. All
0: right, by fax from Portland, Oregon, Sylvia. Please ask your guest, who does the briefing of presidents when they come into office on the supposed national security aspects of uh, IFOs? Would be MJ-12. MJ-12, which still operates. Who's been making the decisions over the years on the continuity of our government's policy toward IFOs? MJ-12. Who decides what the president should know?
1: MJ-12. And uh, elaborate on that. Uh, Within the MJ-12 intelligence community, there's a great disdain for elected and appointed officials, which is why the president or the congress or, uh, any other appointed, uh, officials don't know very much. Security clearances work like this. The lowest security clearance you can get is top secret. Above that, there's 28 levels of what, which is called top secret crypto. And they run through 1 through 28, 28 being the highest. Above that, there's 10 names like, uh, Umbra, amber ultra the top being majestic now the president of the united states has a clearance about top secret crypto 17 he doesn't know very much he doesn't need to know very much he's kind of a figurehead so they tell him you know a, a little bit they they tell him probably that there's recovered vehicles and and uh, that they maybe have a dead body or so but he doesn't know the whole story he doesn't need to know the whole story to, to perform his job
0: all right. Uh, John, this, and then we'll go back to the phones from San Clemente, California. Art, I heard that a nuclear explosion can actually destroy a soul. And I heard Mark McCandlish say there is a death ray that can eliminate the soul. Does John know if the soul can die or be destroyed?
1: No, it's my understanding that it can't.
0: No. Th- that it cannot. All right. Um, I suppose a nuke would shake it up, at least. <laughs> on the uh, toll-free line, you're on the air with John Lear. Good morning. Hello there. Hello. Hello? Yes, sir. You're on the air.
3: Yeah, I'm calling from Medford, Oregon.
0: Medford, yes. What's your question?
3: I know quite a bit about the UFO subject, and I've taken note of the fact that these beings seem to be quite interested in the human soul. Um, I, I think uh, Whitley Strieber said that, he doesn't believe that any human being on Earth uh, really knows uh, what these what these beings are and what they really represent. Um, also, uh, for, for your information, you know when a moth goes to the light, you can grab it, and it makes it easier to grab and do whatever you want with it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> do you like that? Do you like that analogy, John? That sounds good to me. <laughs> The moths go toward the light, huh? And they're 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 grabbed, or they uh, they fry themselves. On the first-time caller line, you're on the air with John Lear. Good morning. Good morning.
22: This is Mike from Kent City on KCMO.
0: Yes. Hi, Mike.
22: Hi. I have a, a few problems with some things you said, Mister Lear. Uh, scientific, but I want to address the biblical issue first. You indicated that the Bible had been changed at the time of Constantine. Is that correct? Right. Huh. Well, are you aware that the patriarchs in the early part of the second century in their letters and apologetics had already included almost all the verses of the New Testament in their letters well, this is more than a hundred years before Constantine and so that we can find almost all the New Testament just in their letters of writing to each other in the apologetics okay now and, right. and that there has been a copy of the whole book of Mark found in Egypt dated at the uh, 125 after Christ, after uh, A.D., uh, and they, they, when they calculate how long it t- would have taken to get that deep into Egypt, uh, it would have existed uh, before the turn of the century.
1: Okay, now the, the changes I'm talking about are 325 A.D., during the First
22: Council of Nicaea. I, I know uh, the date, and I'm saying that the almost the complete New Testament is already found in the radi- writings of what we call the Patriarchs, some of them which were disciples of John. In the first part of the second century, and so we already have the New Testament in letters written back and forth. Plus, we have a whole book of Mark found in the around 120, uh, in the archaeologists date of 125 AD. Then you have even secular historians agreeing that uh, Luke, who uh, wrote the Gospel of Luke and the uh, Acts, was a first-rate historian and had to have been there. And so I'm wondering where you come up with this conclusion. I, 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 I've heard this theory before and uh, question people about it, and they insist on it. But then when you present them with the fact that the New Testament can be recovered from documents before the time they say they were changed, they just kind of go on and uh, don't discuss it anymore. Well, they may be recovered, but they're not in the King James Version. Well, that, that has nothing to do with the reliability. When you do textual analysis, it's not based on when the King James is written is based on the number of manuscripts and how old they are and how much they change over a period of time. In for the Old Testament we even have in the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, a good part of the book of Isaiah recovered that we find has changed very little with what we have today. I'm just saying your conclusions, you say you do careful research and apparently you didn't know that the New Testament can't, was uh, known. And can be found in manuscripts older than uh, before Constantine was ever born.
1: That's correct. correct. I'm just saying that they didn't make it to the King James version, and most people
22: have access. So to these them. manuscripts still exist, and we can compare them to the King James version. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, as for science, I'm always upset when uh, people talk about science, but uh, ignore the fact that when they start talking about things that are supernatural, they still include science. And I'm going to give you one example: when you talk about time travel. One of our most basic laws is conservation of energy and matter. Now, if someone comes from another time into this time dimension and brings their matter with them, they have added matter and broken the law of conservation of energy and matter. When we, by, by definition, when something breaks our natural laws, we call it supernatural, but everybody seems to want to bring it umbrella, under the umbrella of science instead of call it what it is.
0: Which okay. is what? Sir? Okay,
22: so we're supernatural.
0: Uh, All right.
22: So where are we wrong here? Excuse me. Where are we wrong? Where are you wrong? Yeah, you just said that. Well, I, I admit you're dealing with the supernatural. That I'm dealing with the supernatural.
0: All right. I guess it's a semantic argument. He wants it called the supernatural instead of science. Oh, okay. Sounds yeah. good to me. Yeah. Okay. Um, on the toll-free line. Good morning. You're on the air with John Lear.
3: Yeah, the um, heartbeat sound in the ocean is government work. It's gone? It's government work.
0: Oh, it's government work. Yeah, Um, I'll
3: explain that in a second, but I just want to say something to John Lear. John, everyone around here says he worked for Air America, and I don't want to go into that. About the um, sonar sound, three sentences. Thanks to Congressman Sam Farr, a sonar device that might have threatened the environment, Has been indefinitely delayed. The Scripps Institute of Oceanography and the Defense Department's Advanced Research Projects Agency have stopped the project development in order to conduct an EIS. Uh, the the, the $35 million device, part of the Acoustic Thermometry of Ocean Climate ATOC program, would be placed off the coast of Point Sur in the Monterey National Marine Sanctuary.
0: uh, Yeah, well, I'm aware of the fact that they have plans, but it hasn't been done yet.
3: Wait, the device relies on the transmission of sonar bursts, blah, blah, blah. Well, I've heard the thing over the radio, and it sounds like a heartbeat. It goes boom, ba-doom, boom, ba-doom, boom, ba-doom. Well, Sam Farr, the congressman, thinks he stopped it. Well, 20 miles north of where they were going to place it, a couple of divers heard exactly the same thing. They just went on with it. All Good right. Deal.
0: All right. Thanks. Uh, well, I again I say, as far as I know, they have not yet begun that project. Uh, it's been halted, and so I have great doubts that that's uh, uh, what they're hearing. But uh, but time will tell. On the toll free line, you're on the air with John Lear. Good morning.
8: Hello, Mister Lear. Uh, your aviation credentials are, are certainly uh, impeccable, to say the least. But like the previous caller said, your you know a science discussion is kind of strange to say the least it doesn't seem to hold a lot a lot of water with any present scientific theory okay well it just just tell me specifically where i went wrong well uh, the discussion of element 115 is all based on uh, a non-existent element uh no, it, it's
1: existent because i held it i touched it i did experiments with it
8: and this is a stable non-radioactive element that's correct Okay, well, let's suppose that's true, and I can't say anything different than that. Um, I would like to say also, you mentioned the book, The uh, Gods of Eden. Uh, um, there's recently been released on the internet a, a excellent, in my opinion, review of this book uh, that says that it's pretty much based on L. Ron Hubbard's Scientology. What do you think of that? I don't
1: think so, because I've studied Scientology for a very short time, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't think there's any correlation there.
8: Well, thanks a lot for your time, and uh, I've uh, been keeping up with your information since about 1988, and um, I hope it's not all over but the screaming. <laughs> thanks.
0: All right, thanks. thank you. Uh, that's an interesting comment. I, I hope it's not, too. Um, Wild Wildcard Line, you're on the air with John Lear. Good morning.
17: Yeah, I'd like to ask John Lear a question, but I, I really
6: doubt that uh, he can do anything but deny it. Uh, John, how long have you been involved in the occult? Uh.
1: Never, as far as I
6: know. Uh, you're saying that most of the information in the books that you read are not occult books? No. No, because um, I read a book uh, about ten years ago called The Cosmic Trigger, Final Secrets of the Illuminatus, and how they were going to duplicate the second coming of Christ with the um, with the alien deal that uh, people would believe that
3: they were going to be saved by aliens.
0: Yeah, John, I, I I understand what he's saying I'm sure a lot of the religious folks out there Think you've got three sixes Somewhere tattooed under your hairline Huh, John?
1: Yeah
0: Under that gray hair
1: Yeah, I see
0: uh, John, what about Air America? Um, you, you did uh, Can you talk about that at all? Sure
1: I worked for CASI Which was Continental Air Services, Inc. A wholly owned subsidiary of Continental Airlines We did the same work as uh, Air America But we were not a wholly owned subsidiary of the cia which air america was we did we did all the same stuff but uh... no i did not work for air america i worked for cassie and those that are familiar with the operations in southeast asia will know exactly what i'm talking about
0: uh... i i am not going to I, I was going to bring some up but i'm oh not yeah, going go it. ahead uh,
1: go ahead what is it
0: uh... iran contra yeah you want to talk about that
1: sure What what's there to talk about
0: uh... you um... You transported, or were about to transport, some um, material to Iran. Yes. Arms
1: and ammunition from Israel to Iran, right?
0: Uh huh. So you ran some of the early, um, early weapons that Israel cut loose on our word. Is that correct? Yeah.
1: We didn't. I never made a flight. Like I say, the first airplane in got shot down. The Mossad, who was running the operation, didn't want to send the 707 in, which I was flying. Uh, so they they uh, canceled the operation later. I think it was like six months, six or eight months later, they ran it with another airline that was out of, oh somewhere like NASA or NasAR or someplace like that, and ran it from the Persian Gulf, like Dubai or one of those countries directly into Iran. so they didn't have to go around another country like like we did uh, Turkey. We had to go through Turkish airspace. And the deal was that we would drop every other load or give Turkey every other load that went in in permission for flying over their airspace.
0: All right. Just thought I'd get that out. On the toll-free line, you're on the air with John Lear. Where are you calling from, please?
8: Uh, Seattle. Seattle. All right. Yeah, uh, I'd like to ask him a little more about that, um, that security that the uh, the government has uh, that doesn't allow the president to know very much. Yeah. Uh-huh. What was that called again?
1: Well, I just ex- uh, described how security works, the lowest clearances, uh, top secret, and then, then there's 38 levels above that. But the President of the United States only has like a number 17 level.
19: And there's not
8: enough time to clear them, nor is there any reason to clear them. What, what sort of, uh, is this some sort of government agency that, that this security... You had mentioned some name.
7: MJ12, MJ-12 was yeah. created
8: by President Truman,
1: and it more or less got out of hand in 1952 when President Eisenhower came in. Being a military man, he gave more teeth and more power to MJ12, and it got out of control. They ran the whole operation. Uh, people who think we have a democracy, even a republic, are badly mistaken. We don't. Uh, but we hear it enough that we have a free country. Uh, you know, the, the bigger the lie, the more people believe it. But in fact, it's not true. MJ12 runs the
8: whole thing. Okay. One last thing, Art. Could you give the uh, number, or not the number, the address to your, uh, to your network? Uh, I'll take it off the on the. Uh, the
0: address to the network. What do yes, you mean? Yes, sir. I'm I'm sorry. What do you mean, sir?
8: The address to the network. Do you mean to write to me? Yeah, to the network. Yes, sir.
0: Well, to, the network is in a separate place than I am. Do you want In to,
8: Oregon, yes.
0: Yo, oh, in Oregon.
8: Yes, sir. I'd uh, like to see about advertising on your program.
0: I, I see. Okay, well contact me by fax.
10: All right, thank you, sir.
8: All
0: right, thank you. And that's area code 702 727 8499. That's my fax number 8499. If uh, you want to contact the network directly, it's area code 503 664 uh, 8829. 8829. And if you want a tape of this program, as long as I'm going nuts with numbers here, it's area code 503 664 John, uh, we're in the number mode. Why don't you give the address for the Lazard tape?
1: Okay, the Lazard tape is TriDot Corporation. That's T R I D O T Corporation, and it's 1324 Southeastern. And it's Las Vegas, Nevada, eight nine one zero four. Don't look for the number because it's not in the book. It's uh, twenty nine ninety five plus three dollars in shipping and handling for the Lazar tape, where he describes his experiences with the uh,
8: back engineering on the on the sag.
0: All right, good. On the uh, toll free line, you're on the air. Good morning.
8: Hi, Vancouver, Canada, calling. Art, right, great show. Hello, John. Um, I don't really know too much about UFOs, so I might. This might be a real basic question, but um, can you tell me about navigation uh, of these craft and oh, what what they'd be built of? What kind of uh, compounds are...
1: It's my understanding that the that the uh, the uh, material that they're made out of is more or less uh, uh, a grown material. They've been able to compact and uh, uh, compact the atoms to such a uh, tight state that it's it's almost indestructible. Uh, we've seen that many times where a, a saucer will crash into sand and be at a 45-degree angle uh, impact, but uh, there's little or no damage at all. As far as the navigation, I don't know how that works. I just know how the propulsion works. Okay, well, best of luck.
0: All right, thank you. John, you remember, did, but first of all, did you happen to catch the movie Roswell on Showtime?
1: Sure, it was. Uh, the producer was a friend of mine.
0: Oh, um, what was your assessment of the movie? Was it good?
1: Yeah, it was, it was pretty good each time they make a movie they get a little closer and a little closer to the truth Uh, I didn't like the way that they portrayed the alien as you know some poor uh, lady you know reaching out and it it didn't look all that realistic but you know it was better than this stuff before
0: well in that movie and in descriptions of Roswell uh, there is a number of witnesses John who say that a piece of material from one of those craft was held and they showed it in Roswell and you could crumple it up, and it would spring right back out again. Right. Is that similar to the material that you described a little while ago?
1: Uh, as the construction? Yes, sir. Uh, some of it. Some of it.
0: Yeah, you could imagine, I suppose, various parts of it. Uh...
1: Yeah, they're all different.
0: Uh-huh. All right. Um, very good. Let's uh, go here. On the wild card line, you're on the air with John Lear. Good morning. Uh,
3: yeah, this is Greg from Nikiski, Alaska.
0: Nikiski, Alaska. Yes, sir.
18: Right. Anyways, I missed the first couple hours because Kate United doesn't uh, play those until after <laughs> you're over. Oh, I see. So, so he may, this may have already been answered, but i got uh, three short questions for John. Um, number one, are you a member of the Trilateral Commission? <laughs> no. How about the Council on Foreign Relations?
7: No. How about a member of the Masons? Of what? The Masons. The masons?
1: I, well, I, I, I know, but what is it? Oh, the Masonic Lodge? Oh, no, but I can tell you that I have certainly been accused of that. (laughs) Okay.
0: How about the CIA, John? Let's cover them all. (laughs) KGB. NSA. No? No, I'm just
1: a poor old airline pilot.
0: All right. Okay. Okay, caller? Okay, thanks. Thank you. Nikiski, Alaska. Well, that covers most of the alphabet agencies anyway. On the toll-free line, you're on the air with John Lear. Not a lot of time. Hi.
10: Good morning, Art. Good morning, Tom
18: morning uh, about a couple two three months ago my wife and I were looking at telescope we had a really good uh, view and in the out, outer layer of the moon there was like a blue half moon and, but, but there also looked to be sort of like a craft that was um, I never talked my wife and I don't want to talk to too many people about it you know because we don't want to be accused of being nuts and all that kind of stuff. Is that really possible, or, or do you think maybe that was more like a reflection of maybe the sun or, you know, of the picture we've got? Because it was, you know, more like a saucer, it was like a saucer shape, but it was really, uh, like an orange type with,
1: A little bit of light, not a lot. Certainly possible. A very good friend of mine uh, one morning uh,
12: was... John,
0: we'll we'll have to hold the the rest of this, I guess. So uh, stay right where you are. We'll be right back to you. You're listening to the CBC Radio Network.
4: the kingdom of nine toll free at 1-800-618-8255 1-800-618-TALK First-time callers 702-727-1222, 702-727-1222, or use the wildcard line at 702-727-1295. This is Coast to Coast AM on the CBC Radio Network. He's the granddaddy of ufology. I, I wonder if he minds that. John, do you
0: mind that description, your granddaddy of ufology?
1: Uh, no, I just became a uh, grandfather to uh, uh... A beautiful little girl, Alexandra uh, Lear Simonides Tasso, my older daughter.
2: Uh,
0: that was
1: May 4th, and she's about uh, four months old.
0: Congratulations, John. Stay put. We'll be right back to you. The granddaddy of ufology, and he doesn't mind. That's John Lear, and he'll be back in just a moment. Once again, here's John Lear. Hi, John. How are you doing? Final portion now, um, from Omaha, Nebraska. Somebody wants to know, John. Isn't it possible the aliens are lying to us?
23: Yes. You know,
1: they—they've been uh, several documents said that they are deceptive. And uh, I was going to tell the previous caller that uh, a friend of mine had seen, was looking up one morning, ready to go fly, and he saw a saucer, one twentieth the size of the moon, just. Go across it. And wow. uh, while we were talking here, I had a reference that I was going to read, but I can't find it. A NASA technical document that uh, documents ab- about 600 uh, different types of weird phenomena that was observed on the moon between uh, the year 1600 and now, as far as blinking lights, flashing lights, uh, weird shadows, all kinds of stuff. And I just can't find it. To,
0: all right. Well, if you run across it, we'll do it. Uh, Matt in Portland wants to know, among other things, um, about a secret earth war. Linda Howe spoke about a secret earth war. Does that make any sense to you?
1: Yeah. She uh, was saying that uh, that somebody had, uh, you know, they have these secret vaults where they hold high-level discussions that are soundproofed and monitored and swept all the time. Sure. And uh, somebody had stepped out, uh, opened the door and as somebody went in they said well how's Earth's Secret War going and of course what he was referring to is is the the conflict we have with the grave
0: Alright, i uh, well, going to ask you about one more thing, I've done a series of interviews John, I don't know whether you heard any of them with uh, uh, Richard Hoagland yeah. and uh, Richard, did you hear some of that?
1: Uh, no I didn't but I just got his tape, uh, his new tapes of the uh, structure on the moon, right? That stands uh, something like six or seven miles high. That's right. It's very interesting, and I ordered the photographs myself from NASA, and I'm looking forward to them arriving within the next few days.
0: All right, very good. Yeah, I have a lot of the pictures. I also have the videotapes. The presentation was uh, was was very captivating, and you would think that it would be breaking in the news, but not so far, John.
1: No, really, they're just work on, on Mars, I told him that that uh, Bob Lazar had seen in his briefing uh, the Cydonia region, uh, photos that weren't uh, accessible to the public, and there was definite doors and windows and, and construction on those pyramids in the Cydonia region.
0: All right. On the toll-free line, you're on the air with John Lear. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, sir. Where are you?
23: Uh, I'm Bob from uh, KEX Point, Oregon.
0: Yes, good, Bob.
23: Um, i got a couple questions for, for John. Uh, one is, is he familiar with Bill Meyer? Billy Meyer? Was, uh, over in Switzerland? Right. Yeah, sure. Uh, when well, he talks in some of his contact papers about the Pleiadians being the oldest group of uh, visitors on the Earth, and they're actually uh, from the same ancestors as we are. Uh, the question I have is, they also... Believe in reincarnation, and and they don't really believe in religion as such, but more as as creation. Uh, and they believe in the good and in man and whatnot. Uh, and the question I have is, is, they don't like us dealing with the grave, because they seem to think that they are a negative life force. Yeah, I heard that. And why? Apparently. They came and offered their their help to the American leadership at one time or another, and it, it wasn't accepted. Well, I'm just kind of wondering is that just because they weren't giving, they weren't offering uh, technology? They were giving yeah, weapons. weapons. We wanted weapons, and the Grays offered us to give us the weapons, and the
1: Palladians did not.
0: All right. John, um, I want you to give some advice. To the young ufologists out there. A lot of people are absolutely lit a fire by all of this and they're gonna travel down the same road that you traveled down. And uh you've now reached a point where you've said you're fatalistic about it and the best thing we can all do is go out and live our lives lives and enjoy our lives. What would you say to the young ufologists out there, Joe?
1: Well, of course, they're not gonna pay any more attention to that than, than I did when people told me that. You know, when I start, start, first started getting into
0: Well, I know, but we should try. We really should try. I mean, if you were to sit down with somebody who's just starting into all this, what would you say to them? Good luck. Good luck? Yeah. You wouldn't try to stop them?
1: No, uh, no, because I know that the the, the lure of, of information, of finding out things, of, of stuff is, is just too powerful. There's just no way that you could stop anybody.
0: Well, that's good and realistic anyway, John. Thanks. On the uh, toll-free line, you're on the air with John Lear. Hi.
17: How you doing?
0: We're doing okay.
17: Okay. This is Dave from Grand City. Yeah. Okay. Well, i got a question for him. Uh, my question is that out of all the things I've heard him said tonight, how could anything be possible? I mean, I'm a big Star Trek fan and everything that he talks about seems to come in there. How does that all happen? And could it be possible that someday we could travel like that?
0: Alright. Why not? John, do you think that is in mankind's future? In other words, is there going to be a a federation? Is there going to be an earth that goes outward? Uh, Is that where we're headed? Or do you think not?
1: First of all, I think the uh, the cleaning out of the petri dish is going to is going to come pretty uh, soon. Well, not pretty soon, but whenever it comes, uh, you know, the Star Trek was based on that. Uh, uh, well, I, I guess I'm right. I was going to say based on that we were first, but that's not 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 what it was based on. Gene Roddenberry was supposedly one of three uh, Hollywood producers that was given uh, <laughs> excuse me special Butter. information.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Uh huh to use in his series. Now, since that, I've read where, where he, he denies that, but
0: uh, who knows? Who knows? All right, but you think, uh, on balance, we're going to be pretty much earthbound. We're not... Uh, and, and then there's the Petri dish. Right. Enjoy your lives, folks. Right. <laughs> on the toll-free line, you're on the air with John Lear. Good morning.
19: Hi, how's it going?
0: I, it's going okay.
19: Great. <laughs> um, I was wondering... Um, I live in Phoenix, Arizona. A few years back a bunch of my friends and I, we were out in the front yard and we saw a great green light beam going across the sky and it was solid and it had a beginning and it had an end to it like water coming out of a hose when you first turn it on and shut it off. Yeah. Yeah. Like a big plasma beam going through the sky. And it was a good like thirty to forty feet in diameter, and all oh, that lasted a good three four miles going through the sky. It was like a big arc, and I was wondering if you had any knowledge of what that might be. No, that's the first description I've heard of there's of unusual
1: phenomena. I've heard a lot of different stuff, but that's the first one I've heard of, of that kind.
0: Boy, me too. That's an interesting one, though. All right, on the wild card line, you're on the air with John Lear. Good morning.
19: Uh, good morning, all right This is Matt in Portland. Yes, man. Made it through. Um, John, I wanted to ask you a question very quickly. You spoke of uh, William Bramley's book Gods of Eden, yeah, where he describes the um, humans have been manipulated throughout history by um, extraterrestrials. And uh, what I wanted to know is if you've had any information indicating that possibly the New World Order push is being orchestrated by these beings. The order of what? The, the new, new World Order?
2: New World oh. Order.
19: Yeah, no, I don't have any opinion on that. Okay. Um, Art, who, who, who's your guest on Dream Lab this week?
0: Uh, let me see. Uh, my guest uh, coming this week is going to be Dr. Bruce Goldberg, author of The Search for Grace.
3: Uh, sounds interesting.
0: Oh, it's going to be. All right. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Um, let's see. Uh, very quickly, we'll go to the toll-free line. You're on the air with John Lear. Good morning.
12: Yes, Calling from Champlain, Illinois?
0: Uh, uh, no, you don't, Philip. <laughs> First time caller line, you're on the air with John Lear. Hello.
15: Yeah, good morning. I'm calling from the Kingdom of Valley Center, which is in Southern California at the base of Mount Palomar. Welcome. It's uh, favorite, famous 200 inch Hale telescope. You yes. know, Dr. Hale, it's interesting, he never saw his telescope become a reality. But he was led by an invisible dwarf who apparently inspired him, told him where to build it, and that sort of thing. I have two questions. First of all, what does your uh, guest think of George Adamski, who is also a local fellow here? He was apparently the father of the UFO culture. And also, does he have any information on a hypersonic vehicle called Aurora, which is apparently a top-secret thing coming out of a base in northern Scotland? Uh, We have a lot of sonic booms here on Wednesdays and Thursdays, and uh, we've been hearing that this is coming from this Aurora vehicle, which uh, does something strange over the San Diego area.
0: All right, hold it there. Let's get a response. John. Well, George
1: Adamski uh, reported everything exactly as it happened. He was reported to be a a hoaxer, but no, all that stuff happened to him. Uh, The photos were analyzed by friends of mine. Uh, who had very good analyzing equipment, and it was true. There was one picture of him looking outside of a saucer, and, and that was true. Hale had a very interesting background. There was an alien that talked to that guy hmm. and led him uh, in some of his research endeavors, and he has a very, very interesting uh, history. The Aurora is uh, a Mach 15 airplane uh, operating out of somewhere in the United States but also goes into Macrahanish which is in northern Scotland. I
15: see.
1: Yeah, that is one of our top secret, one of our six top secret airplanes.
15: How high does that fly, do you know? 285,000 feet. Wow.
0: Okay. All right, thank you. And at at Mach 15?
1: Yeah. People say Mach 7 or 8, but
0: it's not. It's Mach 15. Mach 15, wow. Um, Toll free line, you're on the air with John Lear. Hello.
5: Hey, this is Dana and Eugene.
0: Hi, Dana, KPNW country.
5: Yeah, um... When I lived in Redmond, Washington, I was over to friends of a friend's house, and uh, there was an Army intelligence guy who his dad worked with for a lot of years. And uh, this guy sent him like just a thousands of page document. He was supposedly on the run from the government because they were trying to hunt him down, and he sent like six of these papers out. And one of the things he said was that Roswell, and he was giving them, I mean, case file numbers, everything, anything you could possibly want. I just barely saw the document, but we just sat around and talked about it one night. He said, at Roswell, they recovered the bodies. One of them was alive. His name was something like Emu or Enu or something like that. Uh They had, like, two separate brains, one on the left side, one on the right side. That's correct. They ate human flesh.
2: Oh, please. I just know
5: that, but... Yeah, go ahead. Um, and just, you know, he went into the whole cover. But, I mean, he detailed everything from, you know, different fighter pilots, their names, their vehicle identification number, everything, you know, just hundreds of documents on that. That uh, would be
1: great to get those documents, wouldn't it?
5: Oh, I, I wish I knew the guy. I mean, uh, that was the only time I ever talked to the guy I moved, like, a week after that.
0: Huh. All right, thank you. Uh, John, bra- a brain on the left and a brain on the right?
5: Yeah, it was called bifurcated
1: brain system. They were completely independent and separated by a ridge bone. Now, why that was, I don't know, but I remember reading the autopsy report on it.
0: Wow, you have an autopsy?
1: Well, you know, the, the stuff that uh, Stringfield uh,
11: put out.
0: Yeah, all right. Um, on the wild card line, you're on the air with John Lear. Hi.
11: Yeah, this is Lewis over in Chico. Uh, John yeah about two years ago, I had an opportunity while I was back east to uh, run into an intelligence officer. I won't give his branch service because I certainly don't want to get him in trouble but uh he he worked out of one of our top command units back on the east coast and he told me that now that's what he said that the aliens that that supposedly that our government's dealing with are in a non interference type of pack, and that that there were other aliens who were interfering and he said there was actually three levels of government in this country and they're all vying for positions of power and they're kind of all in like a standoff uh, to each other because you know, different groups of these supposed aliens have uh, uh, upped the ante, you know, it's just kind of like here on Earth, you know, Bosnia you know, somebody gets an AK-47 and the next guy gets a nuclear bomb Yeah, I Uh, agree with that, and I think your friend was right He also said, though, that the ones that you know were you know they kind of kept a over an overall picture of the thing. He said that most of the abductions were not being carried out by aliens, but they were being carried out by um, by the government, and it was for use for later. You know, they were they were programming people. They would go out and find people who would be susceptible to this. He said they had special editions of films that were very subliminal, and they would get like a control who would make friends with certain individuals and they would go over to the guy's house you know, and show him a special copy of E.T., except the guy's not knowing he's watching a special copy of E.T., <laughs> and they would program these people up to a point where they would either give them a hypnotic uh, experience or they would actually, and I, and I thought this was kind of amusing, but he said they actually hired dwarfs and would dress them up and have a whole theater set up to be like a ship. And give these people a physical experience, so that even if they took them out and they got out to a, a, a psychiatrist or a hypnotist who was not even believing in this, when he would put them under, that he would get the reading back from them that they actually believed what they went under. What all they right, kind
0: doing of a right. kind of a mission impossible sort of yeah, setup. Yeah, that's,
11: that's true, and it's been detailed by uh, Martin Cannon, uh,
1: the government abductions, and uh, yeah, they do pretend they're aliens. I don't think it's the predominant form of production of uh, abductions. But, yes, the government is certainly doing that.
0: There's a lot of research now, John, into the abduction phenomenon. A lot of the researchers have sort of left the sighting mode, and they think the way to pursue this now is through the abduction phenomenon. Do you agree with that, John? Uh,
1: that would be hard to do, but I'm just going to sit and watch.
0: <laughs> on the toll-free line, you're on the air with John Lear. Hi. Oh, uh,
5: yeah, this is Rich in Anchorage, Alaska. Hello, Rich. Um. I I guess you could call me one of them fat, dumb, and lazy Americans, because I just got turned on to your program a little while ago, so I'm learning. But uh, I was wondering if you could explain to me what uh, MJ-12 actually is.
0: All right. Well, we did earlier, but we will again. John?
5: MJ-12 was the the government
1: the secret uh, 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 review body that was put together by President Truman in 1947 to review... Uh, and decide what to do about the alien threat, if any. It was given teeth by President Eisenhower when he got in and regretted by President Eisenhower uh, when he got out. He said, beware of the military uh, industrial complex, he sure did. which MJ-12 uh, essentially run. Uh For the people who don't believe that MJ-12 exists, my source uh, for the existence of MJ-12 was Jimmy Doolittle, and since he's passed away now, uh, I don't mind saying that that was my source. He, he confirmed to me that it did exist.
0: All right. On the wild card line, you're on the air with John Lear.
12: Oh, good morning, Art. This is Dan the man from KWN. Uh,
0: yes, real quick, because we're almost out of time.
12: Okay. Um, what I wanted to say was uh, uh, that uh, Dr. Frank Stranges, have you heard of him? Sure. Okay, well, I'll try to. Just, uh, would you ever have him on uh, your dreamland?
0: No, no, I have not had him on Dreamland.
12: Okay, uh, well, the, he would be a very interesting person to have. Um, he says that uh, one-third of the fallen angels, uh, you know, the from that uh, came from
3: heaven, are uh, part of uh, the uh, UFO uh, phenomenon.
0: All right, on that note, we're going to have to close out. John, we're out of time. We've done it again. Made it all the way through. Great, Art. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, as long as you are around and I'm around, John, I'm sure there'll be another show in our future.
1: Okay, Brian, anytime.
0: And uh, it's a pleasure. It's always a pleasure, my friend.
1: Okay, thanks, Art.
0: John, thank you. Good night. Okay, good night. Uh, I'm sorry, everybody. We are utterly out of time. As you know, I'm ruled by the clock. It is the nature of things. And uh, I would like to tell you one more time how to get a copy of of this program because i know a lot of you tuned in late a lot of you would like to archive a program of this sort with somebody like john lear and i can surely understand that so uh... here's how to do it you can call right now we have uh, a vastly improved uh... tape delivery system for you all uh... they'll get it to you within a few days they tell me mastercard and visa work just fine the number to call And you can do it throughout the weekend. You can call it right now if you're able to get through. Otherwise, throughout the weekend, area code 503-664-7966. Once again, area code 503-664-7966. You'll tell them you want the program with John Lear. It has been a pleasure. This whole week of talk radio has been a pleasure. Dreamland comes up on Sunday. I'll be here back here with the syndicated program Monday night, Tuesday morning. So for the live portion, you'll get more in some areas, some stations. But that's it for the live portion and this week of Coast to Coast AM. On behalf of everybody at the network, thank you. Good night.